get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. They've had chances to break through and haven't. They've left seven on base. Can the Cardinals cash one in here? The bases are loaded now, and the top of the order is coming up. Good patience by Edmund. He'll pass the baton to Lars Newtbar, who's 0 for 2. Squib to the left side. Davis backhand. Long throw and a strong throw on the first pitch. And the Cardinals are out of luck. I think Giants fans recognize that this day and age you just don't see what's happening a lot right now in his 12-year career he has one shutout 2012 when he was with tampa swing and a miss the splitter for the strikeout for the shutout and for the complete game a great night for alex cobb Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Cardinals are 9-14. and 14, That audio courtesy of, once again, the Giants TV network. Fly the Jolly Rogers. all we ever do is listen to the opposing teams. I forgot what Chip's voice sounds like. Highlights. Like this. And the Cardinals give up another two-run double. <laughs> Alex Cobb. Brandon. Alex bleeping. Cobb. Hey, in his defense, everybody deserves their highlight reel moment. Man, if I hear one more person say, oh, but he was really good last night. You gotta, really you gotta tip your cap to those guys. He was fine. He was fine. He's your classic sinker baller getting you on the ground. He was a really solid pitcher last night. He's been a really solid pitcher in Major League Baseball for a decade. But Alex Cobb if only Phil Cuzzy was umpiring that game. He probably would have found sticky stuff and threw him out complete game shutout against you. And if I hear another person say, oh, but he's been really good so far this year. BK, look at his ERA. Can I tell you how long he went in his previous three starts this or four starts this season against Miami, the Dodgers, the Royals. And yeah, there was one start against the Yankees. The Dodgers are good. Okay. Yeah, the Royals are good. Three and two thirds innings. Two runs allowed. Seven innings against the Royals. Two runs allowed. Three and two thirds against the Dodgers. Two runs. Five innings against the Marlins. One run. Nine inning complete game shutout against you? One of these things is not like the other. I mean, it didn't surprise us. I mean, the guy's a major league pitcher. That's what I'm saying. true. I don't even know what to say about this team anymore, man. I've tried to be all bright eyed and bushy tailed every morning here as we start the show. I don't know what to do anymore. Oh, it might this be, team stinks right now. It might be time to quote Vic. They're just not that. They stink, good. stink, stunk. And I don't. I, I. 
I thought it was going to be better than this. I still think they can be better than this. They should be better than this. Somebody on uh, on Twitter yesterday reached out to me and said, hey, BK, they just don't have enough talent. They're Ooh. not a very talented group. Man, do you know how much easier this would be if they weren't good? Like if they didn't have any talent in this lineup every day? It would be super easy to explain. Oh, well, they were bad. They didn't have this coming into the season. They didn't have two of the three top MVP candidates in the National League last year. If they didn't have one of the Nolan Gorman, who has an OPS over a thousand and Alec Burleson, who's been really good to start out the season. Best offensive catchers in the game. Lars Newbar is getting on base 50% of the time so far this year. A guy who they paid $80 million to be an offensive minded catcher. Brennan Donovan is winning gold gloves all over the place. One of the top prospects in Major League Baseball and Jordan Walker. Like, if they didn't have these guys in the lineup, dude, it'd be so easy to explain what's going on right now. We'd be the Pirates. We'd be talking about the Pirates from previous seasons uh, prior to 2023. We'd be in first are. place? Like, the Royals this year. Royals fans knew what was coming. Man, they all that, looked at the lineup. lineup they didn't even bad. recognize any of the names in their lineup. That would be easy. This is far more difficult to watch on a night in night out basis because they shouldn't be this bad. Seven times on base against Alex Cobb last night. Oh boy. This is 0 for 6 again with runners in scoring position. I I heard somebody say yesterday on the radio and I forgot where it was, but they said probably probably, they said if you're riding off the Cardinals this early into the season, you're crazy. And I get it because you shouldn't be riding off a Cardinals team before it's the end of April. There's so much more baseball to be played. But if you're also sitting here optimistically thinking that this team can, you know, put themselves back in the driver's seat of being the aggressors in the National League Central Division and pushing for some of the best teams in the National League, I also view that as you're crazy because you no longer can sit here and say that yeah, it's only two weeks into the season. You're about a month into the season. And who did we, we talked to, um, was it, it was Bochi, right? That we spoke to last week, the former manager. No, we did not talk to Bruce Bochi. No, who was, who was the one that we spoke Clint to? Leland? Jim Hurdle? No, Leland. Talked to both of them. Leland was the one. Sorry, a lot of managers running through my mind. You can see how I mix up Bochi and Leland. Yeah, anyway, good managers from the 2010s. Yeah. <laughs> Both guys love baseball. Leland said that 40 games into the season is when you start to really know what your team's got. Now, you're nowhere near that. You're 25 games in, 23 games in, but you're a month into the season and you have continuously collapsed against these teams that are below 500. That's an issue. So, yeah, it'd be crazy to write off a Cardinals team, but I'm also not going to sit here and say it's still early when you just got shut out by a guy who hasn't thrown a complete game shutout since 2012. Tanner wasn't even born then. I was alive in 2012. What were you doing in 2012? I had gotten, it was my first year in college. I, was, I think it was my last year in community college. Or I, my first year at Lindenwood. I don't even know it was so freaking long ago. I was starring on my seventh grade basketball team. He's there the chick go. magnet in seventh yeah. grade. I was in my prime. Like, think back to what you were doing in 2012. And then it went downhill. Yeah. That was the last time that Alex Cobb threw a complete game shutout. 11 years ago. Guys, I went through the lineup that he did it against last night. It, it's a... A way back machine. T-Bone, I don't know how many players oh, in this lineup. Let's play a game. Coco Crisp. I've do you remember him. watching him? Yeah, I remember Coco Crisp, Crisp from the Boston Red Stephen Sox. Stephen Drew. I remember him. Yeah, Josh Reddick. 
Yeah, Yoannis yeah. Cespedes when he was no, good. He was really when he good had a cannon. Chris Carter. Do you remember Chris uh, Carter? I remember the Chris Carter. Hitting? First Is he baseman. A big, tall, right handed first mm. baseman. Okay, I do remember him. Seth Smith, who I have no recollection That's of to be totally honest with you. No idea. He was Josh up. Donaldson at the early portion of wow. his career. Make it rain. Who was Derek, this, Oakland? Yeah. Derek Norris and yeah, kind of remember him. Pennington. I remember Pennington. Yeah. That was the lineup was that he went up on against. the other side? Uh, I would have to go back and look. Coco uh, Chris. Of course, you asked me a follow-up question. Yeah, I want to know who's the starter he was going against. Who Maybe cares? he was out-dueling another like, really good pitcher like Mike. That was the lineup that he last threw a complete game shutout against. And then look at the Cardinals lineup last night. You tell me where the difference was. Uh, that, and that a team decade. had better talent. <laughs> a decade of experience as well. I... I don't know how to describe this any longer because it's no longer early season struggles. At some point, we got to evaluate this for what it is, man. This is an underperforming lineup that is not taking advantage of its opportunities. And we knew coming into the season that it would potentially take a little while for the pitching to stabilize. We knew that when you had, for example, Adam Wainwright on the I.L., You'd have to make up for that with Jake Woodford, and there was a chance that wouldn't go well for you. Jake, or uh, excuse me, Jack Flaherty, still trying to get his sea legs under him, but he's looked pretty good, all things considered. Miles Michaelis getting hit around, as it sometimes happens for a guy that pitches to contact as often as he does. But this offense has scored five or more runs nine times out of 23 games. Alex, the offense is what is a problem for this team right now. We can talk about the pitching and we will. It's got to get better. But until this offense consistently performs the way that it was expected to coming in the season, I remember Ollie Marmel. This was like two weeks ago saying the offense is the identity of the team. Well, you're in an identity crisis right now because your offense is not performing. When the Giants got that first run across last night, I don't know how you guys felt. I thought the game was over. I should not feel that way when you're down one to nothing with the offensive lineup that this team has to offer. I'll take you further. I thought it was over when they couldn't score a run when they had the bases loaded the previous inning. Again. When when they had the bases loaded and what was it? One out and they couldn't score any of those runs. I said, well, this is over because that's what happens when this team has that ideal situation to say, all right, let's blow this wide open. Jordan Montgomery has been a stud for us tonight. Let's blow this door wide open on the San Francisco Giants team and win this first game of the season in a series. And then you missed it. And as soon as that happened, I looked at my wife and I said, this is over. And I flipped over to hockey because that's the way that this Cardinals team has performed this season. There's no, and I don't want to say there's no confidence but there's the there's the lack of understanding that they have the talent to get it done. It seems like everybody on this roster has the yips. And when those big moments come up, it's, oh, God, I don't want to screw this one up. Grounder to second base. Last I, night we saw it again. Lars Newpar coming up with a big spot. First pitch swinging. First pitch, and it's out of the zone. And Lars Newpar is not a guy that expands his zone very often. He doesn't typically chase. That looked like a team that was pressing. I think we can now safely say that. They're, they're a team that... They are so afraid to make a mistake Mm -hmm. that it ends up causing mistakes. Tommy Edmund at second, booting a ball. That's not something you expect from him. Alec Burleson, I I guess I get what he was trying to do there. Chip Carey mentioned it on the broadcast. Hey, he's got a wide open lane down the third baseline. If he wants to, he could take a bunt for a base hit here. Well, it doesn't execute it. And 
To be honest, Alec Burleson is not the most fleet of foot, so even if he did execute it, it was going to be a tight play at first base. It doesn't work for him. So now it looks like you've got Alec Burleson, who's hitting the ball as hard as anybody on this team, bunting the baseball, giving away a free out. And then in Lars Newbar's circumstances, you chase, you get out of the zone, you get an easy dribbler down to third base. That was a great play by the third baseman. But that seems to happen regularly for this team. They get into big moments, they get into tight spots, and they press. And it's happening regularly to the point where they have now played 23 games this season. Do you guys know how many times this year they have scored three or fewer runs? It's got to be a lot. Uh, I'll go 14 times. They played 23. I'll say 15. It's 10. You guys are bad at this game. You always make it worse than it is. Um, First time it wasn't a trick question. They, they, have, say, <laughs> they have scored 10 or th- they have scored three or fewer runs 10 times this year. What do you think their record is in those games? Oh, and 10 or oh, one and nine. Hmm, close. One and nine. Now you're not expected game. to be really good when you score three or fewer runs like the third best team in baseball in those situations is three and five with the Pirates this year. But the problem is the Pirates have scored three or fewer runs less often than you have as the Cardinals. It, it, it's embarrassing, man. This offense is embarrassing right now with the way that the, the output that they're giving you. Yeah, And, and the tough part for the offense, because I, I don't disagree. They, they clearly look like they're pressing. But I mean, it goes back to what happened in uh, late September slash October when they got bounced in two games in the playoffs. Their stars are just not hitting it. And look, I know Contreras has turned it on. But as he's turned it on, Goldschmidt and Arnato have gone cold. In the last week and a half, Goldie, 200, 209 average. When you look at Nolan Arnato in the last week and a half, 233 average. Arnato's been so bad they had to give him a day off to work on things yesterday. That yeah, just, that's just not a how good it's sign. been. So, I mean, this offense, even, even if guys are struggling, those are the guys that should be able to say, you know what, get on my back and I'm going to carry us to a game that we can win, especially when it's Alex Cobb that's on the mound. And they just don't, those guys aren't performing. And, and that is, to me, that is one of the biggest things. As a whole, the lineup does not feel like it's hitting for power. And secondary, your top two guys, your top two stars just are not hitting the baseball right now. Somebody said, time to fire Jeff Albert. Oh, man. I well, miss how's Jeff he doing? Albert. How's he doing in New York? Mets are good. They're okay. I miss Jeff Albert right now. Do you? Yeah, yeah he, te- he teaches his team how to hit the ball hard. I mean, for all the talk about the Cardinals' approach last season... You guys seeing a good approach this year? Like I, I so push back now? on it then. Start blaming the coaches. No, I'm not. I push back on it then. I'm gonna continue to do so right now. This isn't a coaching problem, man. It's not. It's a player-driven issue. The players are not performing. They're not performing to any of their expectations right now, and it's gotta get fixed. <coughs> it's gotta get fixed soon. Because it is no longer as early as it was when we started saying, oh, it's still the first week of the season. Man, it's the fourth week of the season now. It's about to be the first month of the bleeping season. This is is tough to watch. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to the former Giants bench coach, Ron Wotus. I want to talk to him about when he knew in the odd years, right? We knew 2010, 2012, 2014, Giants were winning the World Series. That's just the way that it worked. Even years, Giants win the World Series. Odd years, they missed the playoffs. In those seasons, when did he know that things were going awry? And how did he recognize it? We'll talk to Ron Wotus about that coming up at 1130. But next, did the Cardinals give the wrong extension to the wrong pitcher? Last night was impressive once again from Jordan Montgomery. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals won't fix this thing because they're just not that good. They're just not that good. We're right. 
back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And a right field. That's a base hit. Runners had to hold up. And the Giants will have them loaded with one out. J.D. Davis pokes a single. And Montgomery in trouble here in the first inning. The payoff. He struck him out. What a job by Montgomery. Long inning. The Giants load him up. Can't break through. We head to the second scoreless. That's uh, the most I've seen him actually kind of pitch with the with an edge. And uh, he was on. He was super competitive. Didn't want to come out of that game. Wanted that lefty. He wanted to go back out for one more hitter, which was uh, which was perfect. Did his job. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Listen, a lot's going to be made of the Cardinals pitching so far this season, and justifiably so. They're bottom five in Major League Baseball when it comes to starting pitching ERA so far this season. But Alex Jordan Montgomery's been really good. He has three of your four quality starts as a team. He has three times as many as the rest of the staff combined so far on this season. And last night, once again, was a super impressive performance. I thought he was going to end up out of that game after like four or five, given what the pitch number was, the pitch count was in the first inning. He was able to wiggle his way out of that. And then he finds a way to be super efficient and get you through six innings in that game. Alex, as I'm watching that game last night, and as I've been watching Montgomery and Michaelis so far this season, it's hard for me not to wonder, and it's early. This is the backdrop to everything. You got to have that as a caveat to any of these conversations. But we said this at the time, it's hard for me not to wonder Man, did they give the extension to the wrong guy? Because you might have had to choose between Montgomery and Michaelis on which one of those two you wanted to bring back uh, for the next few seasons. They decided to go with Miles Michaelis, who has been really good for the Cardinals in the past, but so far this year he's getting hit around pretty well. Do you think they made a mistake here, Alex? Should they have tried harder to bring back Jordan Montgomery? I think so, uh, because the age was the biggest thing for me when you're talking about a Miles Michaelis who's, what, 33, 34 years old, and you've got a Jordan Montgomery who's 30 years old. But Jordan Montgomery has been the model of consistency since 2021, and even prior to that, I know he had injury issues in 2019 that led into 2020, but his first two seasons with the Yankees, he was the exact same pitcher when they went into the offseason and we were talking about contract extensions for a pitcher, you knew that Jack Flaherty was a massive question mark. Miles Michaelis was sitting there for you, uh, albeit it was coming off of a really strong performance of a season. Yep. And then you had Steven Matz and then the uncertainty with Adam Wainwright and who else was going to be there. Jordan Montgomery was the guy sitting in front of you saying, if we want consistency for our rotation, this is the guy. He's 30 years old. If you're talking about a four or five year contract extension, okay, cool. You're going to be walking into the middle of his prime towards the back end of it when that contract is done. But all Jordan Montgomery has done since he's been in St. Louis and even prior to that when he was pitching with the Yankees, strike guys out and give them a solid six innings of work and not being a guy who's going to get into tight jams and put bad innings out there. I mean, he said one bad start this season. So yeah, when I looked at the miles Michaelis extension, when it happened, I think it was you and me on the show together, Tanner. I said that probably should have been Jordan Montgomery's money. Now I understand Michaelis has been here longer. Michaelis has had two really impressive seasons, 
but he's also older. He's also a guy that pitches to contact and doesn't have much strikeout stuff. And he's a guy that might not be as consistent for you for the next couple of seasons where Montgomery is going to be a guy that could be a number two on a lot of competitive teams. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, Jordan Montgomery's had two good years and he's had two years that were injured. Uh, I just completely disagree. I mean, Jordan Two good Mon- years? Jordan Montgomery over the last three full seasons now has been excellent. I I don't know what numbers you're looking at, but Jordan Montgomery basically since the start of 2020 has been a, a really good starting pitcher uh, in Major League Baseball, and you can go all the way back to what he was at the beginning of his career in 2017. He basically had a good season, got hurt, had to take some time out with that injury, and then ever since he's come back, he's been a really good starter in Major League Baseball. Yeah, and, just completely disagree with and that. And it's kind of like saying Miles Michaelis had one good season and then got hurt and then has another good season. Like, Sure, but that's how pitchers are. And people looking at the 2020 season, yeah, he returned from an injury that kept him out nearly all of 2019 to a COVID-filled season where not a lot of guys had success in a shortened year. But 2017, 2018, 2021, 2022, where he came from New York to St. Louis, and then this year, he's been the model of consistency. Yeah, he, he, he's he been great. And I, I think right now that it certainly looks like the contract extension was handed out to the wrong arm. And, and look, I... I wouldn't mind locking up Jordan Montgomery still. I, I still think he's a solid pitcher that you would at least try to go to the negotiation table, and that would put you out of the Jack Flaherty sweepstakes probably, for example, but you'd have to add an ace in free agency. But it certainly does look like they gave the extension to the wrong guy, and I was a fan of the Miles Michaelis extension. The way they were able to kind of set it up, the way the money worked, I, I thought it was a great contract extension. I still think that deal's going to end up being a wash at at worst i i don't think he's this bad i don't think all of a sudden the next three years it's going to be like the matt carpenter experience where it was like holy cow this guy clearly can't play anymore i think he's going to get this figured out now it's not a great sign that you know he's given up the most hits among qualified starters in major league baseball but i i do think he'll get it figured out but yes it certainly looks like right now it is a they made the wrong decision once again on a contract extension and gave it to the wrong guy i mean montgomery's clearly a guy that can be into a rotation and you know like hey if I look at the back of a baseball card here's what I'm going to get from him pretty much every year Montgomery feels like that consistent of a pitcher it's where you feel comfortable with him meanwhile when you look at Michaelis's baseball card and look I get it he's dealt with injuries too his is a lot more up and down all-star in 2018 and then had the uh year in which he had the four ERA and then he dealt with the injuries came back was an all-star last year and so far early on this year it looks like a mixed bag of results and he just has not been very good yeah somebody on the text line I think makes a really good point it's a fair one why can't we just admit that they got the best out of a player and then eventually move on Michaelis was was one of those guys you get the best out of him they age out and you move on I, I think that is something a lesson that the Cardinals are potentially going to be learning and I'm curious to see what that means for some of the position players like For example, Paul Goldschmidt. We all love Paul Goldschmidt. He's an excellent baseball player. But there have been signs at times over the last couple of seasons that the slumps are getting elongated for Paul Goldschmidt. He's got, what, one more year after this season uh, under his current contract? I will next season is next offseason is typically the spot where they would negotiate a contract extension with a player like Paul Goldschmidt, who's one of the faces of the franchise. I wouldn't blame them if they decided to do that. It wouldn't be like some massive mistake. But there are a lot of teams, Dodgers, for example, that would look at where Paul Goldschmidt is at this point in his career, look at where the the Cardinals are at this point, and they'd say, hmm, make some more sense for us to play this one out, see where you're at at the end of the next season, and potentially walk away 
for, from a contract like that at Paul Goldschmidt's current age. Dodgers just did it with Justin Turner. Exactly. I, I will be curious to see what that looks like. And I bring up Goldie not as a they should let Goldie walk kind of example, but as a that is the next in this line of succession on deciding what you're going to do with a player like that. They just did it with Miles Michaelis. They decided to extend him. Be curious to see what it looks like with Miles Michaelis. I will also be curious to see what they decide to do with Jordan Montgomery in the offseason. You, you can still bring him back, but it, it gets... It gets into a conversation of how many of those like mid-level starters do you want to pay $20 million a year to? And right now, you've already got one with Miles Michaelis. Are you going to add another? Because Jordan Montgomery's probably getting a million dollars a year after the season that he started to put together. I don't see any reason to believe and that that's going to change. And over the next two to three years, I think Montgomery's got a higher upside than Miles Michaelis. And, and I, will, I will say this just real quick. There's a chance Montgomery did not want to really negotiate a contract extension because he is a Boris client, and we know what Boris is. Sure. And I wonder if, the, if that happened, just to quick tinfoil here. I wonder if the Cardinals said, hey, Monty, we want to lock you up. What's your number? I'm not signing a contract extension. I want to test the market. They went, okay, let's pivot to Miles Didn't Michaelis. he talk in spring training, though, and said that he'd yeah. be interested in talking contract extension, and then they said that he didn't approach hey, him. And as much as people bring up whether or not uh, Scott Boris is going to do an extension, it, Boris works for his client. Yeah. If Montgomery wanted to get an extension done, and he made that clear, and he did pretty much make that clear when the media asked him about it, then Boris would have done it for mm-hmm. his client because that's his job. That is what he is there to do. Now, and if the Cardinals front office has a stance that says we're not negotiating with Scott Boris clients, well, then that's another issue. And they, in they, they don't. They've they've negotiated with Scott Boris clients in the past. So um, I, I think this was a decision where the Cardinals decided to go with Miles Michaelis over Jordan Montgomery. And they've got to live with the consequences of that. Coming up next, Ron Wotus was with the San Francisco Giants for more than 20 years as a bench coach and a third base coach. He was a three-time World Series champion. He also saw some seasons where, in the even years, they really struggled coming off of those World Series championships, despite the fact that they had real aspirations and real expectations coming into the season. What point in those individual years did he recognize that it just wasn't going to be their year? We'll ask him about that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. To the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by a three time World Series champion, the longest tenured coach. In San Francisco Giants history, he is Ron Wotus joining us here on the show. Ron, we appreciate the time, my friend. How you doing today? 
I'm doing well. Uh, BK Alex, I hope you guys are well as well. Uh, we're doing all right. Your, your Giants put a number on the Cardinals last night. Complete game shutout in that one by Alex Cobb. And uh, the Cardinals season has not been going according to plan, to say the least. They're 9-14 and 14 now on the season, Ron. Uh, Ron, you've been around some really talented teams in your Giants career. When you have a team that you know is talented and they're going through struggles as a coach, how do you respond to that this early in the season? Well, I think the first thing uh, you have to realize is it is a long season and you don't want to overreact. You know, I, the thing that I think of when we were going through tough stretches, I think it's extremely important that when you stay more positive with the guys, pump them up. You know, me and Tim Flannery used to always try to do that, especially in big games and during the playoffs, you know, letting them know how good they are. Um, you always have to address, you know, the negative, the things that aren't going correctly. But uh, I think you can overdo it. Look, you have talent. The cream will rise to the top. It's just a matter of time. And, you know, coming out of spring training, it's hard to tell exactly what you have because spring training isn't a very good judge um, of the performances of the players because of the competition level. You don't have, you know, your, your major league pitchers uh, pitching consistently, you're getting a lot of fastballs, et cetera, et cetera. So sometimes it takes a little while for the, for the team to gel, especially when you have new acquisitions, see how the guys interact together and, and get their feet on the ground, especially when guys come from different leagues, et cetera, et cetera. Ron, I've asked this question to a couple of other former coaches in Major League Baseball, and I am curious from your perspective, uh, 23 games into a season, is there a number or a portion of the season where as a front office, as a coaching staff, you start to get a really good feel of of what your team is going to be this season? Yeah, I think um, if you're healthy coming out of spring training, I think it takes a better part of a month to really see where you're at. Um, in our situation here this year, we've had a lot of injuries, so you have a lot of complementary players jumping in, guys you didn't expect to get as many reps, and guys moving their position. You know how everybody does it today. You have a guy that's you know, not necessarily uh, an outfielder by trade, but because you lost a big bat, you're sticking him in the outfield, and it may affect your defense, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, for me, it takes a little while, and it takes a little while for the guys to come together if it's a new group. Every year is different. Every year is different. And, you know, I, I don't overreact to it. I think you just got to take it, you know, the old cliches a day at a time. But I would say it takes a better part of at least a month uh, to get a real good feel of where you're at and, and, and how you're going to be. Ron Wotus is our guest here on 101 ESPN, three-time World Series champion, now serving as a special assistant with the Giants as the Cardinals are in San Francisco this week. Uh, Ron, one of the issues that the Cardinals have run into is uh, you could call it bad luck. I know some of our text line thinks that it's just a bad approach. Uh, You could go a million different directions, but their hitting with runners in scoring position has been off this season. In your history, I'm sure you've had stretches with the Giants where you were watching it. You were like, we can't buy a hit with runners in scoring position right now. When you're going through a stretch like that as a coach, is there anything you can do to try to get things back on track? Or is that just one of those things where uh, you pray to the baseball gods that the, the streak ends sooner rather than later? Well, I wish there was a magic bullet that you could tell guys to have them hit better with runners in scoring position. You know, some guys are better at it than others. The guys that can slow their 
the heartbeat down, you know, guys that stay within themselves. You know, one thing that's noticeable to me um, in the game now is everybody's going for the home run with the launch angle and, you know, the approaches and analytically people like the home run. And I think a lot with runners in scoring position has to do with just getting that, that knock, getting that base hit. Um, you know, you can shorten your swing. You can, uh, you can just try to get base hits instead of trying to do damage with men in scoring position. And I think the other area that I would focus on if I was managing is getting the guy in from third with less than two outs. Um, that used to be another skill that everybody was uh, worked on consistently, you know, getting the guy over from second with nobody out, getting the guy in from third with nobody out. And again, it's kind of the same approach, <clears throat> you know, uh, and put the bat head on the ball. It's easier to hit a fly ball or a ground ball at the infield back than it is to try to do damage. So I think you got to stay within yourself and, uh, you know, um, you know, some players are better at doing that. Um, but as a coach, there's not a whole lot you can do. I think it's going to balance out for the, for the most part over the course of the season. Um, if, the, if the hitters are putting up good at bats, I think they're going to end up hitting with runners in scoring position and that wall even out. Uh, Ron, speaking of, of coaching, you've been around some of the greats in the game and you've worked with them, guys like Dusty Baker and Bruce Bochy. I, I am curious just from you seeing the game now compared to what it's been in the past, how much does a manager impact a ball club in, in this type of season? I think the manager makes a huge difference. Um, you know, I, like you mentioned the two, and then you add Felipe Alou in there. And, you know, I, I think the leader of the club really sets the tone, not only how the guys play on the field, but just the experience and calmness, knowing when to have a meeting, you know, when to manage an individual, call them into the office, I think the more experience you have at doing that, I think it really shows up because we spend an awful lot of time on the skills and in the numbers in today's game. But, you know, knowing the individual, where they're at in their career, you know, what they need, um, you know, getting them to relax, whatever it is, you know, seeing that, you know, they're, they're over swinging with men on base, whatever it is. I think, I think the good coaches and the manager, have a, a real big influence on those things, and, and, and that's a difference maker for me. Ron Wotus is our guest for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Ron, I want to take you back to 2012. You, you've got a good club. Uh, you're coming off of a, a disappointing 2011 season where you guys missed the playoffs, but you have the same core as you did in 2010 when you won the World Series. You start out the season and you're 18 and 19 through the first 37 games. You're six games back in the National League West. What changed for that team? Because they went on to win 94 games in the regular season. You won the division. You ended up winning the World Series. Do you remember something specific that changed that allowed that team to head in the right trajectory? Well, first of all, I got to tell you guys, the years run went together for me. <laughs> sure, of course. After 24 years, it's hard to distinguish, you know, some of the, some of the, uh, the, the things like you're just asking right now. But I do know this. I mean, I remember even when we won the World Series, and it might have been 12. Um, when you start off like that, you think, wow, you know, we're not very good. And it goes back to your original question, when do you know? You know, sometimes you, you really don't know. If you just don't have a, horses on the field, you just don't know what, what the team's going to be because so many things change throughout the course of the season with the injuries. And I think one thing that we always did, and I'm, I'm sure 12 was a big part of that, and I think we made some trades. And if I remember correctly, 
that was when we got Hunter Pence. And Hunter Pence, the reverend, uh, he, he was just what we needed. He brought a lot of energy. He became one of the leaders uh, with his energy and rallying the troops and the yes, yes, yes movement that he had. He was giving, if you remember, he was giving those um, he was giving those speeches before the games and throwing sunflower seeds up in the air and, and everybody got everybody hyped up. But we always did that. You know, Cody Ross, Pat Burrell in 2010, Hunter Pence and uh, was it Scudero that came in in 12, I, I believe. Um, or, no, I'm getting my ears. I, that was probably <laughs> later on. See, I'm getting it. Confused. I think that's right. I think you got that right. Nailed it. Yeah, but but those guys made a huge difference, and I think the trading deadline is very very important to a team. And you know, if you if you hang around within striking distance in the first half and around the trading deadline, the trading deadline is is a is a definer for me. Do you sell? Do you add? Do you go for it? And we always went for it. You know, maybe a couple of years we we should have we we shouldn't have tried to go for it, but that's what we're in the business to do is to win games. And we always did, and and that's why I, I think that's such a a, a, a pivotal pivotal uh, part of the season. On uh, if you're going to get help or if you're not going to get help, and it just lifts the confidence of the club when you can add some good players. So anything's possible. And most of those runs that we had, we played good baseball at the right time. You know, we weren't a juggernaut in at least two of the three of those World Series. Not that we were a juggernaut in in the one, but we were pretty good. Um, so I, I think that's an important thing that we've always done and made a difference in, in our World Series runs. Ron Wotus is a three-time World Series champion. He is the longest-tenured coach in the history of the San Francisco Giants, a heck of an organization. He was a heck of a coach. Ron, we appreciate the time, as always, man. Enjoy the rest of this series out there in San Francisco, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. Look forward to it. You know, it's always tough when we play the Cardinals, so we got three more with you. It was, it was a good pitch to ball game last night. It was, a, it was a really, really good game. Better for us than you guys, but <laughs> we got three tough ones coming up. It's always tough playing the Cardinals. Yeah, we wish you the best of luck the rest of the yeah. way, but we hope you have zero luck in the next three games. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Hey, same to you. Thanks, Absolutely. Ron. That's Ron Wotus joining us here on 101 ESPN. Hugely appreciate his time, as always, when he joins us here on BK and Ferrario. Alex, I found that interesting. He, he mentioned the, the trade deadline and the impact that that can have on a club. Man, that was the first thing I thought of, too. Man, you look at some of those Giants teams, and like he's right. They, they always went for it. They went for it, and they weren't juggernauts. We're not talking about the the recent Astros teams or the Dodgers that are winning 100-plus games in a season. They were teams that were kind of built like the Cardinals, where they were going to win 86 to 95 games. They were, they were built to win somewhere in that range. They played well defensively. They had a really good pitching staff, which is maybe the biggest difference between this team and, and what they had. They had a clear cut number one every one of those years with Mad Bum being at the front end of that rotation. And they went for it. And they made the right moves at the right time. And I think that is something that when we talk about this Cardinals team, I don't think it's the right mix right now. I don't. I liked what they tried to do coming into the season. We'll talk a little bit more about this coming up at the top of the hour, but I liked the idea of coming into the year and using the first month to find out what you have. Okay, what is Alec Burleson? Is he a guy that can be a starting outfielder on a contending team? What do you have now with Tyler O'Neill? Is he 2021 Tyler O'Neill or was last year more the real one in 2021 was the aberration? What do you have with Dylan Carlson? Can he hit against right-handed pitching? 
Jordan Walker, is he actually ready to go at this level? You had a lot of guys that were question marks, but the upside was really high. Well, I think now we've seen the upside is not going to be reached, at least right now for a lot of these guys. And at some point, you got to filter through some of this stuff and make the deal that makes sense for your team. Yeah, I mean, look no further than the Atlanta Braves winning the World Series and then the Milwaukee Brewers last year. Yep. The Atlanta Braves lost Ronald Acuna Jr., and what did they do? They went out there and they went were aggressive and got three outfielders that helped them go on that deep run. What did the Milwaukee Brewers do? They traded away their best asset in terms of Josh Hader, and what did they do the rest of the you way? You can also go back two years where they made the trade for Willie Adamas early in the season, and that was the yeah. thing that, got, was that ignited MVP. them. Yeah. He ended up being the player that they needed, and it unlocked the rest of that lineup. Sometimes it's not about, oh, I don't want to give up these assets for how good they could be. Yeah, that is something that you have to pay close attention to, but you also have to send a message to your roster that says, we believe in you i mean look listen to what ron said about the manager and how he's the one that's leading the charge in terms of the mentality just as much as the front offices when they say we believe in you we need to be aggressive with this so we are going to assist you moving forward and that to me is always a massive implication of how a team is going to be in a postseason run. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, we'll get some questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Alex, how rough is it watching all these former Blues absolutely kill it in these playoffs? Is that tough for you to stomach? Certain guys it is. Like McEachern? <laughs> like, yeah, like Mackenzie freaking McEachern. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, no, Ryan O'Reilly, it, it does sting to watch him have success. Although it's not that I'm rooting against him, but you're thinking it's like, oh, God, I wish he was here doing that. Barbashev's the same way. It's weird. And this isn't anything against him. I just, I find myself rooting against the Rangers and Vladdy Tarasenko. Like that one stings more than anything, mostly because I guess the way that it ended with Vladdy here in St. Louis. But like, that's the one that I find myself rooting against. But I also root against the Toronto Maple Leafs, but you want to see Ryan O'Reilly thrive. But yeah, every time one of them scores a goal, I'm thinking you got to be bleeping kidding me. Doesn't really bother me all that much watching them tear it up. I, I, I actually enjoyed it, especially like the Vladdy one doesn't really bother me because it reminds me of Vladdy, who I grew up watching, the guy that was like the superstar for the Blues that was on the cover of the NHL video game. So I'm always going to have kind of a soft spot for Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, And then Ryan O'Reilly, I'm glad to see him having success because it it was off to such a it was such a bad year for him here in St. Louis. Horrible for him here in St. Louis. I had when anytime the question has to pop up in the back of my mind for a guy that has been a star player of. Is this the beginning of the end? It's not a comfortable question to ask, mm-hmm. and it looked like that here in St. Louis. So I'm excited to see him having success. Now, like, seeing Vince Dunn have success with Seattle in the playoffs, like, 
that guy, that guy, I don't, I don't really root for that much. But otherwise, everybody else, I root for. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. I don't think it's hard at all. We knew what the season was going to be for the St. Louis Blues. They got a fair return for the guys they traded. If they didn't get anything of significance back, and if they didn't add Kasperi Kapanen and Jakub Verana with the cap space they were able to open up as well, and the roster spots that they were able to open up, it might hurt a little bit more, but... We kind of knew what, where this season was heading, and so I'm just happy for those guys. They got what they needed here in St. Louis with winning the Cup, and now I hope that one of them goes on to win another one this season. Uh, this one comes from the 618. Guys, have you seen the news about Will Levis and the markets moving with him to potentially go number one overall? Is it worth a bet to bet on Will Levis, number one? Okay, now he's one overall. I heard the two overall. So there was a Reddit poster last night. I'm not making this up. This is true. By the name of Sale Agreeable 2834. This is like Wikipedia. That posted last night on a Reddit thread. He heard from somebody close to Will Levis that Will Levis is telling those close to him he's going to go number one to the Carolina Panthers. I bet he is. Yeah, well, I'm sure the guy who's going to be Mr. Irrelevant is saying, no, the Panthers are going to pick me this year. At the time that this was posted, Will Levis was 50 to one to go number one overall. This morning, those odds had changed to 20 to one overall. About two hours ago, that was down to 10 to one overall. Now it is four to one odds. So last night it was 50 to one. Now it is four to one. So you'd bet $100, win $400 for Will Levis to get number one overall. Here's the dirty little secret about NFL draft props. There is not enough money in the market to really move these things in any meaningful way. In other words, they're following like small trends in money that is being placed on players to go certain spots. Because the limits on these things are incredibly low. You can't win real money as a professional sports better by betting on the NFL draft. Any NFL individual game, you could bet millions of dollars. The the markets are so liquid with money that like there's not a whole lot of fluidity in terms of line movement over the course of a week. Typically, something like this, it changes significantly based on small money that's going on individual players. So... Moral of the story, no, I would not place a bet on Will Levis to go number one overall based on some random Reddit poster that is telling you that he heard from Will Levis's buddy that he's going to go number one. I'm going to go to Reddit later on today and say I'm hearing that the uh, Georgia tight end is going to be going first overall. You'll hear somebody like if uh, if Mel Kuyper says on one of his podcasts that he's hearing something about a player going number seven overall, something like that, just randomly making something up. The markets will move based on that little itty bitty piece of news because somebody's going to bet based on that information. So there's just not a whole lot of information that goes into these. And the money that is in the market is not enough to to really change anything of significance. Yeah, I I would not be wasting your money on that kind of bet with Will Levis going number one overall. Honestly, I I, I wouldn't bet on the NFL draft. I I just think it's a sucker's bet because it's fun. If you want to do it, go for it. It's fun, but it is is a sucker's bet in my mind. I, I, I don't ever bet on like the draft i don't bet preseason hockey for sure i'm not betting. if i'm doing anything i'm doing like future odds like over under and like wins for a season uh world series winners ga- actual games being played i don't ever worry about the nfl draft stuff or even like some of the crazy super bowl props like you know what colors gatorade bath they they're just suckers bets and, and i'm i'm the opposite of that i like doing these but i also understand that i'm potentially lighting money on fire i just think it's fun 
Yeah, I remember. I enjoy lighting money. I remember last nice. year. Good to know. Last year, I think BK put down a couple uh, bets. He was like, man, I feel confident Chiefs are doing this. This guy's going here. I don't think he won one bet. Nope. No, he doesn't. Lost all of them. And guess what? I had a blast doing it. Coming up next, it's time for the Cardinals to start making some difficult decisions on their roster, specifically with the outfield. Talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here's the problem that all these guys have, whether you're in the outfield or in the infield, you got to play. I don't think these guys are at a stage in their careers where they can take three days off and, and then try and jump back in. These these guys are creatures of habit. And the way they're going to be productive is they have to play. And obviously there aren't enough spots you know, in the lineup for them. So it, it's a real dilemma. That was Mike Claiborne earlier today on the morning show. And I agree with his stance alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. I don't think it was an issue to come into the season and have the approach that the Cardinals did. I think it was the smart way to go about it. In fact, you've got a lot of options in the outfield and you want to find out, okay, what can these guys do for us? What do they have to offer the team? And Alex, I think so far we've got some important answers to those questions. Dylan Carlson has not been able to hit against right-handed pitching. Tyler O'Neill, listen, I understand all of the underlying numbers and hard hit rates and all of these things. Hell, I'm the one that cites a lot of those things. He's not looking like the player that we wanted him to be so far this season. It's not. Alec Burleson came into the season. He was on fire. He's hitting the ball really hard. He's taken a little bit of a step back, but I think we kind of know what he is. He's a pretty solid player against right-handed pitching specifically. And if you need somebody that's going to hit to con or that's going to play to contact, he's going to be your guy. He doesn't strike out a lot and he's going to play the BABIP game. If the balls are pl- falling into play, he's going to look really good. If they're not, it's not going to go so well. It's basically like the Miles Michaelis of, of hitting. Meanwhile, Lars Nupar is the player that they wanted him to be so far. He's getting on base at eye clip. He's hitting for decent power. Since his return, he's been one of the guys that you expect to play every single day. Jordan Walker, super exciting prospect, got all of the tools that you wanted him to, but he's struggling in the outfield defensively, and his results have been mixed. Started out great, lately not so good. Alex, I think it's time to make some decisions. And if it's not right now, I think it is by the time that they get back from this road trip. Because at a certain point in time, You've got to decide who you're rolling with in this outfield, man. If you want to platoon one spot, 
by all means, go ahead and do that. If you decide, hey, Dylan Carlson and Alec Burleson are platooning in left field for us. Cool. No problem. But at some point, you got to decide who you're riding or dying with because this season can die on the vine if you don't decide to do that sooner rather than later. You're three and seven in your last 10 games. And as much as we talk about their offense coming up with hits and getting on base, all of that's great. But look at the runners in scoring positions. It's what we cite. And, you know, not to compare it to hockey, but, you know, Joe and I used to talk on on the pregames talking about young players and getting them at the level that you need him to be to be mature enough to play an 82-game schedule. And we've cited Kairou about this, but there's a difference between knowing that you're going to play the game and knowing that even if you mess up, you're going to be back in there the next night to fix whatever mistakes come in. And I understand that's a team game compared to individual stats here, but follow me for a minute. If you're a player like a Dylan Carlson or a Tyler O'Neill or an Alec Burleson, who I know Alec Burleson's hitting, go down the list. If you're if basically if you're not named Tommy Edmond, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Gorman, and Wilson Contreras, if you have a bad game, you're looking over your shoulder a little bit because you're thinking, great, well, I'm not going to play for two days. And how am I supposed to get this right other than going into the cages for two days before I get back in there and can prove that I can do this? There is a little bit that goes into this. So I, I'm the same spot as Klaibs that looks at this and says, at some point, if I'm Ollie, I got to say, it's time to start distinguishing roles. Dylan Carlson, you haven't been hitting for us. Guess what? Let's head down to Memphis for a little bit and get our bat right. Come back up when there's an opportunity. Tyler O'Neill, you're going to be there every single night. You're going to be in left field, so figure it out. Jordan Walker, you're going to be in there until you need days off. Figure it out. Large Newt Bar. Alec Burleson, guess what? We're going to have you as a DH slash bench bat. You and Brendan Donovan are going to split some time. Nolan Gorman, your second base. If you distinguish these roles... It gives these players an opportunity to say, yeah, I went 0 for 4 and left five guys on base last night. But you know what? I'm going to be right back in there tomorrow and I'm going to have the same opportunity rather than taking two or three days off so somebody else can figure it out and struggle. And then you start getting to the point where it's like, what's going on here? I, I, I think there's some truth to that. I, I think you can tell that some of these guys are pressing. And I, I think you see that with uh, I, I, Burleson's probably the best example after last night, just him bunting, which just felt weird for a guy that's kind of cooled off since his hot start. Uh, You look at guys like Tyler O'Neill, who's been striking out a ton at the plate right now. I wonder if part of that is pressing. I mean, he's not hitting left-handed pitching at all. He also knows if anybody's going to take that job, it's going to be Burleson because I think two spots are locked up. I I think you know two roles in this outfield. You know Newbar's your center fielder and probably your leadoff guy, or if Donovan's playing a little bit better than him, then he drops down in the order. And then you know Walker's your starting right fielder. Those are two roles that you know that are locked into place. The one that's up for grabs is left field. And and I think right now, the way that they're going to play this out, I I think you stick with Burleson for the time being. The thing is, though, is like I I don't know who you go with with a platoon in left field because like Carlson's not hitting left-handed pitching really this year. His average is there, but he's not slugging the ball really that much. You look at Tyler O'Neill, he's not hitting left-handed pitching at all so far for the Cardinals this year. One of those threes they're going to have to do something with. I, I think it is maybe just as simple as, okay, let's send Carlson down to AAA, get him at-bats, work on both right-handed pitching, work on his stuff from the uh, right-handed batter's box against lefty, see if he can just bring more power to the plate. And then you can run with Burleson in left field, and O'Neal can kind of serve as that fourth outfielder, come on defensive substitution late into the games, and also get some starts against left-handed pitching. But I I think that's the way you have to do it right now. I, I do think you need to get rid of one outfielder. And I don't think it necessarily has to be via trade, but I think you've got to clear up one spot to just platoon left field instead of having 
five guys working in this outfield. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to better to forget it coming up here in about 10 minutes or so, but this is coming from the 314. 30 minutes ago, BK said this isn't a manager issue, and now you're talking about this. That is exactly the issue. This is on Ollie Marmol. He needs to get it figured out. I disagree. If you're talking about management, I do think it is a management issue, but on a higher level. I think this is a general manager or a president of baseball operations issue. Hey, I throw Michael Gersh under the bus. I think that John Mosaloc needs to decide who he sees as the future of this team in the outfield. How many years have we been talking about this, guys? You have one great season from an outfielder, and then it's like, okay, this is it. This is going to be the guy. And then we put all of the bets on that. It's like put it going all in on one hand in poker. And then you decide regardless of what that hand is like you decide based on here's the better analogy you get pocket aces you win a hand you're like okay blind blind bet going all in on the next uh next hand because i believe it's going to be another really good hand yeah, you let it ride and you say to yourself all right i'm gonna put it all in right here and then you get two seven god and that's what it feels like every year for the cardinals it's the same story they bet on Steven Piscotty. They bet on Randall Gritchick. They bet on uh, Dylan Carlson. They bet on Tyler O'Neill. They've made bets, Harrison Bader, on these outfielders. Who was the last one that for multiple consecutive years, it paid off for them? Was it Matt Holiday? Like, this is where it gets into a question of what's going on? Why aren't these guys able to sustain any sort of consistent playing time and any sort of consistent results? Why can't Tyler O'Neill recapture the form that he was? Guys, this season, he's slugging 380. That's like Tommy Edmond numbers or worse. Why is it that you can't go to a guy for multiple years in a row? The, the best option might be Lars Nupar. Like We might see that finally. But I'm hesitant to buy in all the way with him, and I know Tanner was as well, because we're snake bit. It's like, well, when is that other shoe going to drop? Because we've seen this before. Where, yeah, it's really exciting for 50 games, but just wait until the league finds him out because that's what it's been for every guy that's gotten consistent opportunities with the outfield. So I I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know how they get this thing figured out. But they got to do it. Or uh, the, the other option, and I think this is the more likely option and maybe the preference. I don't know who's available out there. I think it's time to make a trade. I think you need to deal from your depth because some of these guys do, I believe, have value around the league. Find your version of Willie Adamas. I don't care if it's a pitcher. I don't care if it's a position player. I don't care if it's a bullpen arm at this point. But go find somebody that can change the complexion of the team. Because right now, what you're doing is not working. You're slamming your head against that wall over and over and over again. We're talking about the same things this season that we did on the first week of the season. And we're talking about the same things right now that we've been talking about for five years. At some point, you got to get this thing figured out. You can't keep riding the hot hand if the hot hand's not getting it done. As sooner or later, you just have to look at it and say, who are our guys? And even if they have a rough game, a rough couple of games, you need to label it as these are our guys. And I'd have to go back through this. But like, if you look at an Atlanta Braves, Atlanta Braves roster, it's the same guys that are going to be in there every single night. Maybe a couple of flips here and there, but it's the same guys on a consistent basis. So if it's an outfield right now that we're talking about, and that doesn't even get into the conversation of, oh, well, Paul DeYoung went three for four. Let's throw him back into the lineup. That's a different conversation. But 
an outfield of Lars Newtbar. Okay, we've made it very clear that we're going to ride this Lars Newtbar train. Great. Let's do it. Jordan Walker, you're up here for a reason. We're riding this Jordan Walker train. If you've backed the Tyler O'Neill decision, then Tyler O'Neill is going to be in there on a stretch of four or five games to get it going. Same with Dylan Carlson. We got this from the 636. Guys, what am I missing here? You say to go on past production to show what a player is, and that's what Mo did, and now it's his fault for doing that. Again, I want to be very clear here. I did not disagree with the plan coming into the season. It didn't work. Like At some point, you've got to adjust. I think the Cardinals went about this exactly correct. I think they needed to find out what they had in the outfield. I think they needed to see where's Jordan Carl or Jordan Walker at? Where's Dylan Carlson at? What can Tyler O'Neill be? Where is Alec Burleson? Find out what you've got in those players. Juan Yepes was the casualty of all of this. It was like, okay, we got to find out what these guys can do. We're pretty sure we know what Juan Yepes is. He's not an outfielder. He's a DH from the right side. We like him, but we're going to send him down so that way we can get some answers, some early returns on these players instead. We've done that for almost a month now. It's still a small sample size, but it's not extremely small. You can get some some trend lines at a minimum, and the trend lines are all bad. The, the trend lines are all suggesting and blinking with glaring lights right now This is not working. What you're doing, the way you're going about it right now, is going to be a problem if you continue going about it this way. So my problem is not with the direction that they went. My problem is with continuing to go down a potentially bad path and not adjusting on the fly, which has been an issue for this organization, not position player-wise so much, although you could argue outfield, but with the pitching side of things for years Don't allow this to bleed out in July the way that it has in previous seasons before you decide, oh, no, we've got a problem here. We should probably go to the hospital and fix the issue. No, go ahead and go to your doctor and get those preventative measures done now. It's April. We've still got time. You, you You can adjust. You can change your diet. Go do that now before we get to the place where we're on our deathbed in July again. And and you can't operate scared either. And I I think that's been a common theme for the front office at times. And I heard uh, the best podcast in baseball. They talked about it with the Jordan Hicks situation, I think, two weeks ago, to where the Cardinals are afraid of DFA Hicks at the time because they're afraid somebody else will fix him. When, why can't you fix him internally? And it's the same conversation with the outfield because, let's be honest, right now there's only one outfielder really playing well, and that's Lars Newpar. Walker, he's a kid, so I'm I'm not like saying, well, they got to trade Jordan Walker. No, he's a kid. He's going to go through struggles. He's struggling. Tyler O'Neill has been struggling. Alec Burleson has cooled off. You look at Dylan Carlson. He hasn't really hit all all year. So they have to, if they're going to do this, they have to be willing to say, we're going all in with somebody again, and we've got to make that guy work. We can't go all in and then in a year say, oh, well, it turns out Burleson wasn't the guy. Now we've got to move on from him too. Whoever you go all in with, You've got to make sure you can make it work with him, and that's where it comes to BK's point earlier. How do you make it work? And whatever move you decide to do, maybe it is they say it's trade uh, Dylan Carlson, and it's go out there and go get like a number three, four starter yeah. right now. You have to be willing to do that and not have the re- not have the thought process of do we really want to get rid of him? Because what if he works by the time go we trade him? Go make your John him? Lackey deal. Go make that yeah. deal. Go 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 grab your cojones and say it's time. It's time for us to go get that rusty nail that we're lacking right now. Better to forget it coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN brought to you by train heating and cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. 
is the Air Comfort Service text line for better to forget it, guys. Better to forget it. Dylan Carlson will be in Memphis by the start of May. Forget it. If anybody's going to be in Memphis, it'll be Alec Burleson, which I can't believe I just said that, but they're not sending Dylan Carlson down. As much as I believe they should to give him opportunities, I don't think the front office would allow that. So forget that one. I think I'm going to forget it. Actually, I'm going to bet it. No, you can't. You already said forget no, it, and no. you've got to you got to stand to it. No, I'm I'm going to bet it. May feels kind of early, but I'm going to I'm going to live optimistically and bet it. I I think when you look at typically, I would kind of have the same thought process of Alex, where I think they want to see him here at the big league staff. But I I think as much crap as Ollie gets early on here in the year, I do think Ollie played a big decision in sending Paul DeYoung down last year. Yeah, and I'm pretty I, confident in that. I think if he sees right now, like look. I'm not going to play Dylan Carlson. I'm not giving up on Dylan Carlson, but I'm not going to play him because I've got four better options right now. So either you can have him sit here and chew sunflower seeds next to me and we can have all the hunky-dory conversations we want, or you can send him down to Memphis to get playing time. I think the front office would say, okay, let's send him down to Memphis. He's clearly not hitting right-handed pitching. What you saw in spring was clearly uh, just spring training uh, stat. Like I always tell BK, those numbers don't matter. And then uh, he's not even hitting left-handed pitching right now. And that was his one strength from last year. So I- I'll bet this. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to him, he has not gotten many opportunities against left-handed pitching. He's only taken 11 at-bats he against them hitting. so far. He's hitting for average. He's just, again, no power. He's got a 365 slugging percentage against left-handed pitchers. And that's supposed to be where the, the success is coming for Dylan Carlson. Since the start of last season, he has 350 plate appearances against right-handed pitching. The entire list of hitters for the Cardinals that have a worse OPS against them, Van Dillon Carlson in that stretch. Andrew Kisner, Paul DeYoung, Yadier Molina. That's it. He's got a 630 OPS against right-handed pitchers since the start of last season. I'm betting this. I think there's going to come a time, basically right after this road trip, where they have to make decisions. And their decisions are going to come down to, do we make a trade or do we make a move where we send some guys down? And I think they're going to take, because this is the way that the Cardinals operate, the path of least resistance, which means they're going to send some guys down. And I think one of those players, I know he's not going to like it. I know the team is going to have to admit, not necessarily defeat so much as like a step back. I think Dylan Carlson's going to be one of those guys that has to take a, a step back before he can take a step forward, and he's going to go down to Memphis to try to get himself right. I don't think that's going to be successful. I think when that happens, Dylan Carlson's going to be traded then. Alex, what do you have for better to forget? Uh, better to forget it. Jordan Montgomery's performance last night basically closed the checkbook for the Cardinals of bringing him back in the contract extension. Uh, I'm going to forget it in terms of that being the reason why, but I'm going to bet it that he will not be back with the Cardinals next season because of the trend of what we've seen. Since he's been uh, traded to the Cardinals, I don't have the exact numbers in front of us. He has to be one of the most productive left-handed starters in baseball. He's been outstanding since the moment that he got over to St. Louis. So I am going to forget that last night is the reason why. I'm going to bet that he's not with the Cardinals next year, though. I think he's going to price himself out of this market. Yeah, I'm kind of with PK. I, I would forget the re- that's the reason, but I would bet that he's not going to be back with the Cardinals next year. And, and I think BK laid it out perfectly. Um, I think it was our second segment of the day at 11.15 when we were talking about this. I, I don't know how many $20 million middle starters you can have on your roster. I mean, you're already paying Matt's, what's he making, 11 to $15 million. Mm-hmm. Then you got Michael's making $20 million next year. Like, that's two guys already. Do I? Do you really need to bring in a third one on top of we already know what's going to be on your shopping list for whether it be this offseason or at the deadline, which is an ace? 
I, I just, it's hard to see him coming back since they bet on Miles Michaelis. I, I'm going to bet this one mostly because I watched the look on that man's face when he came out of that game and saw the next inning take place. And he's thinking, yeah, if I'm going to stay in St. Louis, you're going to have to pay me a lot more than I originally thought. I mean, that's three straight losses for him where one game was bad. The other two were solid he, performances. He feels like he's getting what Miles Michaels got last year. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, Michaels won eight innings. Yeah. Oh, oh, he gave up one oh. run and lost. Oh, they oh. lost. Good. Good cool. to know. There's always at least one Cardinal starter that gets that treatment. Yeah. <laughs> for, for the like, longest for time, it was reason, Lance Lynn. Yeah. For whatever reason. They're just not going to get the run support from their offense that they were expecting to. T-Bone? Bet it or forget it. Jordan Walker will finish 10% above league average this year in terms of his OPS plus. At least 10%? Yeah. And the reason I, I bring this one up is because I read Jeff Passon's piece today on ESPN, and good old Jeff thinks Jordan Walker is one of the five biggest disappointments in baseball, which I could not agree with more, but... Could not disagree with. You hate or, Yes, disagree with. Sorry. He's already putting the biggest disappointment on the kid 23 games in? Because he's one of the worst outfielders in baseball. Now, that part I agree with, probably. But he's not a I've top five bad outfielders in baseball. By the numbers is what he was getting at, which... Oh, of course, Jeff Bassett just sticking to the numbers, just like somebody else we know. Stat boy! Forgetting this. That's, that's a joke. But will he be 10% above league oh, average? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was Better going off the disappointed. Um, I'll bet this one. I, I think you'll get... There's going to be a point for Jordan Walker where it feels like that, oh, yeah, I'm a little overmatched, and then it's going to be a breakthrough moment, and then you're going to start seeing consistency with it. So once you hit that middle of the season where he gets comfortable in terms of being a big leaguer, going up against some of the other bests in the game, that's where I feel like the walk is going to come into play. So I'm going to bet this one. I'm going to bet it, but... There's a but. His There's recent but. struggles have been a little concerning. He is chasing the ball a lot. I think that Jordan Walker is when when he first came up, when he was first when he first was announced that he was going to be on the big league club. I said, look at Dylan Carlson's first year with the Cardinals, his first full season. That's probably what you're hoping for. And in Dylan Carlson's first full season in 2021, he was 13 percent above league average. And I think that I got out over my skis and I blame myself for this during that 12 game hitting streak. I was like, ah, Jordan Walker's legit. It's going to be so much better than what Dylan Carlson was that year. And now because this is baseball, it kicks you in the teeth and it reminds you, yeah, there's some growing pains that have to take place here. I think that something approaching Dylan Carlson in year one, 265 batting average, 13% above league average offensively struck out about 25% of the time. Looking back on it now, that's probably Pretty close to what we should expect from Jordan Walker this year. Someone uh, said, I haven't seen Walker climb the wall for a ball that doesn't even make it to the track. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, he can't be that He can't be that bad. Alec Burleson's a lot more stressful. Biggest thing for Walker is he's just got to start hitting the ball in the air and for power. If yeah. he does those two things, he's going to be fine. He's hitting for average. He's getting on base at an okay clip. He's striking out more than you'd like, but he's been okay. The, the problem has been his inability to keep the ball in the air and specifically to hit it for power. Yeah, when your uh, hit chart is mostly dots just on the edge of the infield, it means you're not putting the ball in the air like you need to. So I, I'm going to bet this, though. I, I still think he finishes at above 10% above league average. I mean, Gorman finished, I just looked, I think it was 6% last year. And Go I think he's going to hit for better average. I, I do wonder if his strikeout number is going to come down at all. I think people have kind of found a hole in his swing, but I do think he'll make the correction. I mean, he's... You don't make the big leagues at the age of 20 because you are you don't belong. So. All right, let's go through some of these from the audience. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 618. Better to forget it 
the recent Blues season has distorted everybody's view on the current Cardinal season. Bet it. I, I totally am betting this. <laughs> Bet it. It's impossible not to see the similarity, so I get it. But I think we do this a lot with local teams that are recently in similar positions. That is what you lean on for your perspective of the current season that you're watching. So, yeah, I absolutely think the Blues have distorted the view on what the Cardinal season is. I mean, yeah, I would bet it, too. But the, the unfortunate part is, I mean, everything that the Cardinals coach players are saying is what I heard from the Blues the entire season. And throughout this Cardinal season thus far, you can continuously comp what happened to the Blues early on to what's happening to the Cardinals early on. See, I, I would bet it in terms of it's it's kind of changed our opinion and made kind of skewed our view of how this is going for the Cardinals. But I, I think it is different because I, I think with the Blues, you saw the underlying numbers coming into this season from last year where it was like, hey, yeah, they shouldn't be as good as they are. And on top of that, you were like, okay, you know Barbashev's not going to score 20 goals. Oh, by the way, you also lost your top power play man in David Perron, and you didn't know who was going to be on Ryan O'Reilly's line. So like, that I could see where it was like, hey, there's some like flashing red lights going on. Maybe it's not a problem. It's like the check engine light when it comes on. Is it going to be a problem? I guess we'll find out when we go down the road with the car. Ended up being a problem. With the Cardinals, I don't feel that way. There were no underlying numbers. Maybe you could look at the pitching staff, but the pitching staff was pretty good last year. The offense, I think, got better by adding Contreras. I know it hasn't shown it yet, but I thought they got better by adding Contreras because you're going to get a full season of production to replace Pujols' half a season of production. So I, I don't think we're at the check engine light moment for the Cardinals. I think right now they just got a flat. They're going to repair the flat tire, and this car is going to get rolling. They're going to be a playoff I mean, team. if we want to keep going down the Blues-Cardinals comps, I would say we saw the Nick Letty over David Perron situation in the offseason. In terms of? Michaels, Michaelis over uh, Jordan that should, have a, that should have an impact on the team this year. Next year, I think that's a fair conversation. It shouldn't have an effect on Unless the team this year. Unless everybody believes Jordan Montgomery is a better pitcher, and they're like, oh. Didn't bring this guy back, but you brought Miles Michaelis back. Um, I I could see it. I think the bigger one, though, is the Skip Schumacher, Jim Montgomery. Comparison. And the Yadier Molina thing. And yeah. I understand what Clint Hurdle said of, like, if you lose leadership because you lose a player like that, well, then you're not good leaders. But it's pretty, it's pretty telling when you take somebody who is a impactful piece of a clubhouse out of that clubhouse and they still struggle. All right, final thing here. Better to forget it from the 636. Dylan Cease, the starter from the White Sox, will be a Cardinal by the trade deadline. Better to forget it. How far out are we at the deadline? The Cardinals or? Yeah, the Cardinals. I know the White Sox stink. I was about to say, I think the White Sox are going to be a a decent ways back. They are 7-16, and by the way, the White Sox are. are, They're worse than the Cardinals. I don't think you need to have to do any math with this. Forget it. They're not making a trade at the deadline. They're, they're not what the Giants were all those years to be aggressive. They're going to say, no, nah, well, we don't want to part ways with a lot of our prospects, and we didn't deem this special, so we went back over to Korea or Japan and got John Gann. He's been terrible there, too. Um, oh, man, I'm going to forget this because I don't think they'll give up the assets to do it. He makes all the sense in the world. And if I'm the White Sox, I would blow that thing up like it's a firework on the 4th of July. That team is so bad. And and their core, this core that they have, we always talk about the Cardinals core. Their core can't stay healthy, so they'll never find out what they've got. I would blow that team up. I think know they're not paying him because what was the stat you just mentioned earlier today? uh, Bob Nightingale mentioned this after the uh, Brian Reynolds who signed a contract extension. It was over $100 million. First ever $100 million contract in Pirates history. There are three teams in Major League Baseball that have not given out a $100 million guaranteed deal. The Oakland A's, no surprise. The Kansas City Royals, no surprise. 
the Chicago White Sox, which is a surprise because that is a big market team and they're not acting like it. I'm going to forget it because I don't believe that the Cardinals will make this kind of a deal in the middle of the season. And honestly, I'm not sure the White Sox are going to make this kind of a deal in the middle of the season. I think this feels like more of an offseason move than an in-season move. Well, the Cardinals won't do that either. But in a best-case scenario, he's the kind of guy that you're acquiring in the middle of the season because Dylan Cease is a stud. Like, that dude is a game-changer for the front end of your rotation. T-Bone, your guy, Lucas Giolito, by the way, the numbers in terms of his ERA, not particularly impressive so far this year. He's at a 4-5. All of the underlying stuff, strikeout rate, walk rate, swing and miss stuff, like it's back for Lucas Giolito for the White Sox as well. well and as He's we, somebody worth keeping an eye on. And as we know with the Cardinals, the underlying numbers mean success for your team. Absolutely. I, I think if there's pitchers that the Cardinals are going to target, I, I think just look to the AL Central because I think there's three there. I, I think it's Cease, Giolito, who we've mentioned. I mentioned Giolito last year. I thought he would have made a ton of sense. Yep. Um, and then the third one's Eduardo Rodriguez from the Tigers. He just had a really good night the other night. Yeah, those, those are those three guys... I think all three should be traded at the deadline. Maybe you could argue what BK did of cease wait till the off season. But those three guys are the three guys. If I had to come up with a T-bone three right now, I would keep an eye on of, Hey, these teams are going to be selling or should be selling. And those are three hot commodities that the Cardinals should have interest in coming up next. The little things are becoming big things for the Cardinals on a regular basis. And if you're looking for hope, I've got some for you. We'll do it next year on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Where J.D. Davis is playing at third base. If you think about a bunt, just like Yastrzemski did, you might get a free hit. But he bunted it too close to the mound. And Cobb with a strike to first. Uh, you had the thought process right, just not the execution. Don't waste the lefty-lefty advantage here. The scoreless game on the ground to second. And booted, recovered, throw to first is late. That hurts. Routine ground ball, Tommy Edmond kicks it. And the Giants have the leadoff man on thanks to an E4. Montgomery made his pitch, the sinker. Tommy got caught in between hops right there. Just couldn't get the long hop or the short one. Yeah, that one is maddening right there. Tommy Edmond, one of your best defenders. If you had to write a headline for the way things have gone at times for the Cardinals in these first 23 games, I'd get fired by using bad words. (laughs) You're not alone, but it is little things have caused big problems tonight it was an error that opened the floodgates for a normally sure-handed cardinal defense couldn't say it better myself that's chip carey brad thompson on the bally sports midwest broadcast last night with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario here on 101 espn the little things for the cardinals are creating big problems that's chip carey's words right there for you and he is absolutely correct 
it feels like every night there's a moment and it's the the head dip moment, right? For the Blues to go back to that comparison, the bad goal, the bad goal that goes in and everybody dips their head and they're like, yep, this is when it changes for us again. Backdoor tap in guy, uh, bad, bad defensive tur- or bad turnover in their own end. Those are the kinds of things that happen for the Blues and for the Cardinals. It feels like it's something different every night. One night, it's a starter that just can't get his stuff on track. Another night, it's a bad defensive player by a good or bad defensive play by a good defensive player in Tommy Edmond. Or there's a bases loaded situation, which happened again last night, where they're not able to take advantage. Runners on second and third, nobody out. They find a way to not score anybody from it. It feels like every night there's something different that happens that everybody collectively on the team and everybody collectively watching the game at home knows that was the moment the game turned that was the moment that the Cardinals lost. You just feel it with the team. And you're right, the same way you felt about the Blues. When one goal would go in, you say, well, this one's over. When one play happened last night, again, I looked at it and I said, this isn't going to be a victory for the Cardinals. You guys texted it when they didn't score or when they gave up that first run. It's like, yep, this one's over. Even before they scored that run, when it was second and third and nobody out, when, what was it, Joey Bart was the one that got the hit? You're thinking, game over. That's And the offense aside, I think the defensive miscues have been more detrimental to this team than the runners in scoring position. Because if you look at the certain situations that these have taken place, I mean, a ball that bounces off of Tommy Edmond, who was a gold glove player at second base, the, the Taylor Motter rundown at third base. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about mis- Nolan Gorman, same thing. You're talking about miscues in the outfield of whether Jordan Walker's taken a wrong path to it or Alec Burleson tries to make a diving play. It was an area that everybody took for granted for how good and pristine it was over the last few years. That seems to be rearing its ugly head more than anything. And that to me seems detrimental because it's a team that take pride in it. It's a team that kind of sets it off to the side and says, well, we know we'll be good at one thing. If the offense doesn't show up or if the pitching struggles, well, we get the defense to back it up. And now you're getting miscues that take place in a game that leads to more runs being scored. And then the team's at that point saying, well, now what the bleep do we do? Yeah, and I think last night, when you when you look at that game, I think I texted you guys after the fourth inning. I said, I think they're going to lose this game. I don't know how. And, and I think that's how the Cardinals felt. I, I think when they saw Cobb after three, four innings and he was dealing and they were just pounding the ball into the ground, I think they knew to themselves, all right, we've got to dealing. play. And well, yeah, air quotes. But uh, I, I think they said to themselves, hey, we've got to play perfect baseball. And it just pressure mounts as that game goes along, and it leads to that one air that for whatever reason just unleashed the floodgate. That should not be a play that just is detrimental to a ball game. We've seen the Cardinals make errors before, and it doesn't come back to hurt them. It is okay that you know it doesn't happen that often with Tommy Emmon, for example. It's just one big mistake, and you know we'll 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 back them up. And and they haven't been able to do that. They're able to play eight innings of baseball, not nine so far this year. It is so much like the Blues, where that one big moment happens, and they just cannot find a way to right the ship. I mean, we talked about it. I think last week where it was. If you look at some of their losses. There are some major blow-up innings. There are, there are not like, oh, it's a crooked number, it's a number two. No, it's like three runs in the first, four runs in the fifth, five runs in the sixth, seven runs in the seventh. They just cannot kind of, when one thing goes wrong, they are not able to just go, okay, relax, we'll get out of this. It is, holy crap, something's gone wrong. We're going to give up six this inning. And that's a major problem for this team. They'll have to figure a way out of it. I, I the fundamentals is something that is bizarre because this team should be better at it, and it's coming from the gold glove infield, not from the outfield as much. Well, and as much as we do push back, and I mean, I, I stand on this 
defense, just like you do, BK, push back on it being a managerial problem after hearing uh, Ron talk about it earlier. Like the manager does set the tone in that aspect of it. And think back to him calling out Tyler O'Neill for dogging it on the base paths. You know, when you're making these miscues in the field, yeah, they happen. But for a team that has been. So let's think, though, for a second. Not not last night. Last night's different. That's Tommy Edmond. It, it's just a bad play. It happens. We've seen Nolan Arenado make some errors at third base as well. It doesn't make him a bad defensive player. He's one of the best to ever do it at that position. Let's think back to where most of these defensive miscues have taken place. Taylor Motter, you mentioned him. He's not a good defensive player. That's why he's not here. You look at Nolan Gorman. We know that he is still really raw at second base. Now, I think he's been better defensively this year than he has been in the past, but he's had a couple of moments this year where it just doesn't look right for whatever reason. That's going to happen with him. I think there have been some moments. I think overall, Wilson Contreras has been fine defensively for you. There have been a couple of moments, though, where he has admitted that it was a bad play for him. Over the weekend, he had one of those um, where he had a pass ball, and he said on Friday night, I think it was after that game, uh, to Derek Gould, I can't let that happen. That is a that is a moment that potentially lost us the game, and I can't allow that to happen. He's owned up to it. He's He's got issues defensively at times. He, it's been the whole rap sheet of him in his entire career. You go to the outfield. Alec Burleson, there's been some plays in the outfield that you're like, ah, not sure that was the way that it was supposed to look. He's not a great defender out there. He was never sold to be that. Jordan Walker, there have been a lot of plays in the outfield where I'm like, oof, that route, whatever, it just doesn't look natural yet for him. He's still very new to the position. He played like 30 games in the outfield last year. That is to be expected. Now, with O'Neill in center, that's a little different. That's a managerial decision. They decided to put him out there. That was also, in part, due to a Lars Nupar injury as to why he was playing in center field. So I think most of this is explainable by them not having the players to play the same defense that they've had in previous seasons. But You have the players, but you're refusing to play them because you want the offense in there. But who like what? well Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill along with Lars Newtbar would be a solid outfield for you. Do you want to play Dylan Carlson or Tyler O'Neill right now in the outfield over Lars or over uh, Jordan Walker? Uh, maybe, maybe this is the answer. But well, well, earlier in the season, all of us were super excited about Jordan Walker. Well, so it's hard for me to say like that's the manager's fault that they were playing the guys that were at the time hitting extraordinarily well when all of us were excited and wanted to keep Jordan Walker in the lineup. I, I think that we're kind of talking out of both sides of our mouth if we're saying that's a that's I, an Ollie problem. I agree 100%. That, I, mean, I would be talking out of my mouth on both sides at the beginning of the season, but in this last stretch where you're not scoring any runs and you're having defensive miscues, you're going to have to tighten something else up. And if you're not but they've tight- been playing Tyler O'Neill every day. They've been playing Lars Newbar every day. Dylan Carlson hasn't hit enough to afford himself the opportunity to play every day, but they are playing other guys in right field. I... I I would just disagree. Like, I I think we gave Schilt too much credit and at times well, too much. Bl- the defense was great last year. No, I know. But I'm, I think in general, we attribute too much of the credit or the blame to the manager for defensive success or failures. I think you either have good defensive players or you don't. Now, can you make them marginally better or worse based on positioning, based on whether or not you have them prepared? Absolutely. I'm not saying coaching does not matter. But I think the extent to which we say bad defense, bad manager or good defense, good manager, it's too much. This year, most of the bad defensive plays have come from players that you would say are below average at best defensively. I don't think that's an Ollie problem. I think that's a they've got guys that are either new to positions problem or 
These are the players that are having enough success at the plates to afford them the opportunity to play in the field problem. If Tyler O'Neill was hitting, we wouldn't be talking about this. If Dylan Carlson was hitting, we wouldn't be talking about this. If my guy, Brendan Donovan, was getting on base at a higher clip and not striking out at the rate that he has so far this year, they wouldn't have any questions about whether or not Nolan Gorman should be getting more opportunities at second base. So a lot of this does come down to these guys aren't executing, and therefore the guys that are at the plate are getting more opportunities in the field as a result. And those guys aren't as good in the field. Yeah, and, and like I go back to, I mean, you mentioned last year's team. So go back to that team. I mean, you look at that outfield last year in the playoffs. I mean, it was Corey Dickerson, Dylan Carlson, and Juan Yepes. That was the outfield. And then after they saw a game and it was like, well, man, the defense isn't pretty. What are we going to do? We went to a defensive route. I think they put Carlson in center field in game two, and it didn't matter. They didn't end up winning. So I I just look at it as I I kind of agree with BK. I think you just have guys that are in either they're below average defenders or they're just not in a position that's uh, been where they came up through the big leagues, like Nolan Gorman, natural third baseman, Jordan Walker, natural, if I remember correctly, third baseman. Mm -hmm. Um, Those guys are playing out of position. It's going to take time for them to learn it. And – Walker, I mean, in the outfield, for example, he's been learning it for not even a full season if you're just looking at the calendar. He started learning in the second half of last year, and he's had spring and early April. I, I don't think defense is the reason this team is losing baseball games. It, I think they're, they're going to make It's they're, offense, but your defense is putting you in a tight spot, and if your offense is not think, out hitting your problems, then what are you going to do? I think exactly. the offense is putting the defense in tight spots. Or the defense is putting you in a tight spot, and then the offense is not able to back it up. I mean, you've built a pitching staff that's all about contact. I mean, if it, we're being honest, though, like even though Edmund makes that error last night and they go to the bullpen after, after – Berhagen's got to get you out of that spot. And I know he didn't have and his best stuff yesterday. Let's be honest. Night. They scored zero runs. Yeah, it's hard to win that way. Like, it, we can talk about the Edmund error, the Verhagen bad pitch, and he lost all belief in his fastball in that game. Like, man, they gave up four runs. It's a game you should win with the offense that this team has. They didn't put Nolan Arenado out there last night. You know why? Because he's not hitting right now. He's not having success, and he's frustrated by it. So we got a work day yesterday. So they had a worse defense out there. They had guys playing out of position as a result. That's because of the offense. Why is Jordan Walker getting opportunities? Well, early on, it was because he was hitting. And so they wanted him to get opportunities in the outfield because he was hitting. I... I, I understand that people are frustrated and that analytics are the reason why this team is struggling right now. Well, they have, they they let go of the guy or they parted ways with the guy that was the analytics hitting coach. You know who they have now? A guy that says, let's get gooder at hitting. They've got a pitching coach now that, yes, while he does understand the numbers and he's going to utilize them because it's information, he's also a guy that has been described by Adam Wainwright as an old school pitching coach. They have Joe Bleepin McEwing as their bench coach right now. Don't drag him in. Let's this. not act like this is a team that's run by a bunch of numbers nerds. It's not. Ollie Marmel was a player, and he's making decisions right now that are based upon what is going to give them the opportunity to score runs. Last night, they scored zero. At some point, that's got to change. Can I give you guys some hope? Because I feel like it's been a negative Good. show. Today. Yeah, it has felt pretty <laughs> it's, negative. It's been a, a little bit of a bummer of a show. So I brought this up recently in terms of the, the recent National League teams that went to the World Series. Guys, I'm not telling you the Cardinals are going to go to the World Series. But if they were, they would not be an outlier when it comes to starting out the season slow. Uh, at the end of this month, the Cardinals will have played 29 games. That'll be the total number of games that they've played once they get out of that uh, L.A. Dodgers series at the end of the month of April. So I went back to the last four full season National League representatives in the World Series. 
at the end of the first 29 games of the season, last year's Philadelphia Phillies were 13 and 16. And on the verge of firing their coach. Fair point. <laughs> um, they ended up going to the World Series. They did fire the coach, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I think a month later. Uh, 2021, the Atlanta Braves, 13 and 16 at the end of the first 29 games of the season. The 2019 Washington Nationals, 12 and 17 at the end of the first 29 games. And the 2018 L.A. Dodgers, who ended up that season winning a total of 92 games, but ended up going to the World Series, 12 and 17 at the end of the first 29 games. All of those teams were at least three games below 500 at the end of the first 29 games of the season. So essentially at the end of the first month for this Cardinals team of the season for the Cardinals to get there, they would need to go like three and three over the next six games against San Francisco and L.A. I think that's more than possible. Sure. I think they should, frankly, go three and three. If they don't, then we'll talk about that then. But even if they were two and four over the next six games, they would still be in line with some of those teams that I just mentioned. Slow starts are not abnormal, even for good teams. We went through one of those teams. I think it was the Dodgers where they were back by like six and a half um, games in the West division that year. It was the Diamondbacks who were leading the leading the division at that point at like 20 and eight was their record. They ended up winning like 82 games that season and completely missing out on the playoffs. Feels a lot like the Pirates. I, I know right it now. feels really bad right now. And as somebody who's had more rants today than I've had in like the last two months combined, it, it's I, I get it why you're feeling bad. It's brutal to watch every single night. This has happened to a lot of really good teams where they go through slumps. They start at the season in a way that nobody expected. And then for some reason, one reason or another, maybe it's firing the manager the way that it was last year with the Phillies. Maybe it's uh, things just click into place offensively, start getting better luck. The pitching staff, you make a move, whatever it is, things start falling into place and you end up going to the World Series. I don't know what the rest of the season is going to look like for the Cardinals, but other teams that have gone to the World Series from the National League in recent seasons had very similar results to the Cardinals early on. The junk drawer coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. The junk drawer, Alex. What do you got for us? Oh, today? it's baby season, boys. BK's in It's always baby closer. season for me, man. Whoa. Look, man, whatever you guys do, it's always outside baby of making. Work, you keep it to yourself. Whoa. Always. Whoa. 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 It's always out of season for this guy. <laughs> up top. <laughs> that was That's just sad. Up so top, you're a couple months away, BK, and we won't relay it unless you don't want to, but you and Kara have decided on the baby's yeah, name. Maybe Luca. I think we've mentioned it on the yeah. air, but I didn't want to say it if we did. Yeah, we've announced it. You were done. Yeah. Um, After Don just dropped like a 60 point triple double. Well, it's L U C A. Um, a little different. Yeah, it's the Disney Luca, not the basketball Luca. Right. So we've, had that we've got a list of the top 10 baby names in Missouri for 2023. Nice. And. No surprise, Luke is not on this. Okay. So, congrats to you for having a a more unique special name. name. You guys want to try and guess the top five? Because uh, I, I have no way of. I'm Tanner's got to be up there. Tanner, Tanner, and Alex are one, two. Brandon's not even on this I list. It. it makes a lot of sense. So, so you guys for top five. Oliver is number one. Really? I don't know if I know an Oliver. 
I don't think I do. Other than Marmol. Marmol. <laughs> oh, well, I call it Wally. I'm familiar. So. Uh, a Liam. <laughs> Liam. Probably a lot um, of Marvel fans, right? Isn't that Liam Hemsworth? One or no, is that Chris Hemsworth? Just named Hemsworth. their kid Liam. I, I Henry. Liam. Henry. Hank. Hank. Big Hank. William is number four. I know William. William is like old school. Like William's like George. That kid's really definitely that... going to be nicknamed Billy. Bill. Oh, I was going to go Will. Oh, no. Will, Will, Bill, Will, or Billy. Billy. There's no yeah. chance he's going to be Dude, known nobody as Nobody will ever William call you William a, in your as life. As a three-month-old. Even a teacher in like third grade will say, is William here? It's like, yeah, it's Bill. Uh, Elijah <laughs> is number five. Uh, I, I don't I know, know an, I don't I think know I, an Elijah. I know an Elijah. I knew a lot of Elijahs in high school. Theodore. Really? I think this one should be higher up. Teddy, Teddy is like the coolest name ever. I love the name Teddy. Teddy. All right. Well, no, kid number two is going to be called <laughs> in the Kylie household. Uh, number seven is Noah. Okay, I know a Noah. That we actually considered Noah. Did you really? Yep. Number eight is Benjamin. I don't know. I don't, I don't know Benjamin. Know. Nine is Hudson. Ten is James. Benji. I am. Oh. Benjamin Benji? I would assume so. I don't know that to be true, I think but Benji's just Benji. <laughs> I don't know that to be honest with you. I don't know how you would just name somebody Benji. I would imagine it's long or it's short I mean, for it, something. It could be. Yeah, it's Benji. See, this I'm, was the I'm conversation. Mike's not a top name. Yeah, I know Mike's seriously like here. six Mikes. Mike, Mike's not on here. They got the Mike girl's Ryer. name too. Uh, Charlotte, Olivia, Amelia, my daughter. Emma made the, the list. Eleanor. Whose name in their kid Eleanor? I actually have heard that's making really? it. I don't know one, but I've Maybe heard this like coming the back. Older, like the names that you would imagine are older names are starting to make a comeback. Uh, Harper, Evelyn, Sophia, Ava, and Nova. 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 I like that. Yeah, but there's a couple of them on there that I was surprised. Yeah, Williams are, um, who who did you say that wasn't on the guys list? Mike. Mike and... Um, or Michael, one of those. Mike and Frank or Francis, because that was what my wife and I wanted to name if we had a boy was Frankie, because Frankie Ferraro just sounds like a B.A. dude. I love the name Frankie. But Another you can't, one of our friends named our, their kid I feel kid like Frankie. you can't do Frankie unless it's Francis. Yeah, but what's wrong with that? Because then people are going to make fun of it. Well, I mean, the, the first day of school, we know we all know how this works, right? The teacher goes through the roll call and they uh, say, hey, if you'd like to worse. be, if you'd like to be uh, called something other than your given name, please let me know on the first day of school. So they, they say, hey, Francis Ferrario. He says, hey, I just heads up. I go by Frankie. Everybody in the class gets one opportunity to make their jokes and then we all move on from it. See, like I... I was horrible to try and come up with names with my wife when we were deciding on names because every name she would recommend, I would find a way for somebody to make fun of that name. Be like, nope, can't use that. Oh, so our problem was her her sister is a teacher. And so she had like, I can't imagine if you're a teacher, how difficult it is for you to be able to come up with names for I, your I kids. Because if you had a bad experience say. with yep. a kid, that's what my, my mom's a teacher. Over. And she did that. She I can't remember what they wanted to call me. something. I can't remember what it was. And they were like, nope. My Chick mom's magnet. like, no, I don't think that, that was, was the, it. That was your name. But my mom wanted to name. I can't remember. What, maybe it was Ryan or something like that. And then she was like, no, I had a terrible Ryan in my class. We're not. No way we're going to name him Ryan. Somebody said getting made fun of for your legal name in elementary school builds character. Just part of your life. That's right. <laughs> That's why I was very glad my parents went with Alex. Not much you could do with Alex. Coming up next. Yeah. <laughs> George name Alexander? No, see that oh. that's it. Everyone says, is it Alexander? Like, no, it's Alex. Sticking with Alex here. My real name's Brandon. What? Congrats, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, it's Brandon. Not short for it's anything. not BK. That's no. not what they named was no. BK. I've always thought though, if you have a boy, name it Mario. Coming up next, the Maple Leafs are showing the way forward if the Blues want to become an offense first team. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, last night, if anybody was watching the NHL playoffs, they were treated to one hell of a game, specifically the comeback that we were able to see last night by the Toronto Maple Leafs. If you watched, you saw uh, Paul Bissonnette's reaction after <laughs> the game. He was going absolutely insane after that one. And Alex, they ended up scoring five goals in that game. They were clearly offensive minded. They have scored five, four, seven and three in their four games so far in this series as they've taken a three to one lead against the Tampa Bay Lightning. They have done so against one of the best goalies in the last decade in the NHL. I would say conservatively speaking, other than Jordan Bennington, of course, and Andre Vasilevsky. Alex, when you watched that game last night, you came in this morning, you said, I think I've seen the path for this Blues team to take the formula that they're trying to build and to become a contender out of it. What did you see from Toronto last night? I mean, and this all goes into how far Toronto actually goes, but watching Toronto perform against Tampa Bay to where they've been down by three goals in two consecutive games and have come back in the third period and won in an overtime, and it's because they've scored 19 goals in four games. Now, they've given up 16 goals, the Toronto Maple Leafs have, and for everybody that looks at the Blues and says, well, they got offense, but they don't have any good. They don't have good enough defense to be successful in a deep playoff run. Toronto is a perfect example of it. Now, do the Blues have Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and William Nylander? No, those are some pretty spectacular players. Have you watched Pavel Buchnevich and Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo? But we also don't know what the Zach Dean and Jimmy Snuggerud could be in a couple of years. The path. And again, all of this comes back to Toronto could get lose the next three games. We've seen him do it before in the first round, and none of it matters because I truly believe to have success in the playoffs, you got to have elite goaltending, and you have to be sound in every aspect of your game. But Toronto right now is proving that you cannot be you could be average defensively, maybe poor defensively, and still find ways to dominate the opponent if your offense can have puck possession. And frankly, what I saw from the Blues in the second half of the season, they got the offense to do that. It's just a matter of how bad are they going to be defensively. And Toronto at least has some type of commitment, but I mean, they're averaging four goals allowed per game. Yeah, I mean, defensively, they're just... They're bad, they're, they're, and their goaltending is nothing for them. I- I think the biggest thing to me, though, is that, like, what what changed, right? Because we've seen Toronto play like this in the postseason before, where they're scoring goals, but they're giving up too many on the other side. Mm-hmm. What changed is that they got Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. And I know that's a simplistic view of it, but, man, it's the truth. He almost single-handedly willed them to a win over the weekend. And without that win on Saturday... I'm not sure they win yesterday. That kind of a win can have a carryover effect. We've seen this from the Blues in the past when they were having some success in the postseason. That win, I think, was the opportunity for Toronto to get back into this series. And so when, when I look at that and I look at the way that he's played for them, I think what you need is sure you need those those guys that are going to have the ability to just put up the points. Right. Everybody, every team that wins a Stanley Cup will look back and say, Man, without Vladimir Tarasenko, we wouldn't have won that. That won that series, won that cup. But you also need a guy like Ryan O'Reilly that every single detail matters to him. Mm-hmm. 
from the top to the bottom. There was a piece on The Athletic the other day. I don't know if you saw this, Alex, about um, former teammates, current teammates talking about O'Reilly's preparation. And we know about that here in St. Louis as well as anybody does. We've talked about it countless times on the radio. That's what's changed. Like they, They've had Marner, Matthews, Nylander, Tavares. They've had these guys. The thing that changed for them this year is now you have Ryan O'Reilly who has seven points in the first four games of the series and single-handedly was able to help them win that game on Saturday. And has been winning clutch face-offs. Yep. And what was the biggest narrative about this team in the second half for the Blues is you can't win face-offs. You can't win impactful face-offs. Whereas Ryan O'Reilly last night, he single-handedly won the face-off to tie the goal, then got the assist and won the face-off in overtime to get the game-winning goal with an assist. So th- th- those face-offs matter. And you're, you're right, those, those specific areas are important. And... It also comes down to having guys who have been there before because all Toronto has had is guys who get bounced in the first round. And instead, you've got now a Ryan O'Reilly who has figured out ways to get above the competition when things are struggling for him. We got this on the text line as well. I'm curious your perspective on this, Alex. Somebody said, guys, but the um, Toronto Maple Leafs defense is a lot more active offensively than the Blues is as well. I, I don't think I agree with that. They've got Morgan Riley. Morgan Riley is. But isn't a- that basically Justin Falk? Uh, yeah, offensively? essentially offensively it is. And I, I mean, the other guys, I mean, Mark Giordano, I mean, Colton Pareko puts up about the same amount of numbers as Mark yeah. Giordano does. And uh, they traded away. They've got, um, what's his face? Uh, Timothy Lilgren, but that's a Tory Krug. I actually think Toronto's defense is comparable to St. Louis's defense. They've got a Luke Shen, though, who's, in, who's a spark plug on that defense, and that was something that the Blues really struggled not have. Like, Luke Shen is kind of what Joel Edmondson was for St. Louis when they went on that cup run, but I, I would disagree that they have a more engaged offensive defensive side because I think with Justin Falk, with Colton Pareko, Nick Letty, and Tory Krug, you're probably looking at about the same production in terms of defense. Yeah, like Justin Hall, for example, is their second-pairing defense uh, on the on the left side. He's he had 18 points defensively or as a defenseman this year, and he played 20 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's less than what you were getting out of your defenseman this season for the Blues. That's less than a Krug would typically expect. Less than per, that's even less than Pareko expects in a typical season. So right. I I don't know that I agree with that part. I I think it's really about their forwards. Their forwards are where they're getting their offense from, even in this uh, series right now. The other thing that we talked a lot about going into the postseason, Alex, was the potential of one or multiple teams blowing it up if they were going to lose in the first round. That is not going according no, to plan. That is not going the way I needed it Because to. the biggest team that played into that factor was the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, they're now up 3-1 to one in that series against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and, and barring some kind of a collapse. Yeah, they're going back to Toronto for Game 5, too. So You're not expecting to see them blow it up. Is there anybody else that is on the path of blowing it up and you saying to yourself, man, that could be a team that ends up making a lot of sense as a trade partner for the Blues this offseason? I mean, the team right now for me would be the New York Rangers. Um, Vegas was my other team to say keep a close eye on, and they're up 3-1 on the Winnipeg Jets, so they might not be blowing it up depending on what the outcome of their second round is. But look, the Rangers are up 2-0, and now they're tied 2-2 going back to the to, to Madison Square Garden. Um, the Rangers would still be the team, I'd say, to keep an eye on in terms of blowing it up. But yeah. I mean, Toronto absolutely went the opposite direction I thought it was going to go. And 
could still collapse in that one. You're not going to make any deals with any of the teams in the Central. Edmonton's not blowing it up. LA's not blowing it up. So Vegas, depending on what they do the rest of the way, the New York Rangers, and then maybe the Florida Panthers, because if the Florida Panthers get bounced, maybe they have to do something different. But this has not gone the direction I thought it was going to go in terms of benefiting St. Louis, with the exception of the New York Rangers that could still potentially blow it up if it doesn't go well. Yeah, I, I think that this continues to be a story of the Blues looking at the Calgary Flames. Yeah. I, I've i said it before, and I'll say it again. I, I think that if you're looking for a team that's likely to make some changes this offseason, Toronto was the pipe dream of, hey, maybe you're able to get like a stud forward from them because they just decided to go a different path, right? M- maybe you could have gone that direction. It feels very unlikely at this point. I think the direction that you're probably going to have to go, if you want to make a move to, to get somebody that is a current NHL-level player, and Calgary's that team. Yeah, somebody texted in on our comfort service text line saying, why would the Rangers blow it up? They just got back to relevance uh, because they have no cap space. Um, yes, they're going to have Vladimir Tarasenko and Patrick Kane off the books, but they've been outspoken about wanting to try and keep at least one of those players. And on top of that, you have the Alexis Lafreniere who's due for a contract extension and Keandre Miller. So they're going to have some cap problems. And if they can't get out of the first round, then that's going to be an issue for them in terms of how they're going about continuing and, this process. And maybe it's different, like blow it up versus transition. Right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the better phrase You're going to have to retool it. with the roster yeah. that they have in place. We've seen Every team has to go through this at some point where the young players get paid and you've got to make some decisions. The Blues have gone through this. Other teams around the NHL have as well. Uh, the Rangers are one of those teams that, that are going to have to make tough calls this offseason. A lot of general managers two, three, four years ago made plans with their contracts where they said, okay, we're going to bet on this because the cap is going to continue to spike. And then after 2020, it didn't spike, and that's completely thrown off a lot of plans. I think it threw off plans here. It's not a like, it's not a caveat. It's not an excuse for the Blues, but I think that's part of the explanation as to how we got here. I, if the cap had increased by four-plus million dollars every year the way that it was previously, I think David Perron was probably back this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but absolutely. That they were they were crunched underneath the cap, and you got to make some tough decisions. Yeah. Maple Leafs are going to have to do that. Eventually. I mean, Rangers you, too. You have the Rangers to where yeah, last season they made it to the conference final and lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning. But if you get bounced in the first round by the Devils, that's a team that's in the same division as you, and that's a team that's stating basically we are better than you unless you figure out how to retool this. And that's going to be their fourth straight season of zero success minus last year. If you're going to deem that successful, where they've had these young players that haven't taken that. Step for them. That's where change could come into place. Alex, have you ever seen any of the Purge movies? There's a bunch of them. Uh, that big have come fan out. of those. Actually, makes me kind of sound like a psychopath, but I do enjoy those films. I'm not surprised. Whoa. The reason why I bring I'm it up worried. is because I think today is a good day to have a Purge. What oh. I mean by that is that the premise in the Purge is basically on one night a year, you're able to commit every crime known okay. to humanity and you get it's basically a free pass tanner and i are coming up in the next segment it's never spoken of again there's there's no laws that night and you get to move on with your life afterwards and the the idea is if you're able to get it all out of your system that one night well the rest of the year there's going to be no crime i think today is a great day to have a cardinals take purge 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line the mic drop features on the 101 espn app what is your take that you maybe don't want other people to hear? And maybe it's a little half-baked and you're like, I, I kind of believe this. This is your opportunity to get that out there. What is your Cardinals take right now that you want to get out into the world? We'll have our Cardinals take purge coming up next here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. It's time for a Cardinals take, Persian. You guys were ready for this. Yikes. Hot damn. We've got a lot of texts, and we've already had a few different um, people send in their mic drops on the 101 ESPN app as well. The general idea is very simple. In The Purge, you're able to get away with anything for one day a year. And we're allowing you that opportunity right now. It's basically a get out of jail free card for this one segment right now on BK and Ferrario. If you've got a take on the Cardinals that you've been thinking about, but you're typically not willing to say, you don't have to put your name on it. It's part of the take purge. It's safe with us right here. This is your safe space. So we've got some. You guys have a lot. Let's start with Evan in our take purge. I am not high on dirt. Jordan Walker. Hear me out, though. We have a very, very big problem with identifying talent, especially in the outfield. Amen. I feel like he's going to come up and be like a a Dylan Carlson for a couple games or a Tyler O'Neill for half a season and then fade off into an average player that can't play defense. At least the other two can somewhat play defense. Um, I'm not there yet on Jordan Walker, but I appreciate the uh, the purge mindset with it. I do, I do wonder about the Cardinals' ability to recognize talent when it comes to their offensive players. Because how many times have we sat there and said, "Oh, this guy's going to be a stud," and well, they're they they become studs for other teams. But like Jordan Walker, it's amazing how three weeks into the season and a team struggling, you look at Jordan Walker and say, well, this guy's not good because in spring training, he was the next Albert Pujols where they said, you cannot send this person down. We even brought up the fact that you might have to send him down to Memphis still and people called us crazy. So uh, I'm not on that purge, but I appreciate the frustration. And like we said with the purge, nobody cares. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he got that off his chest. Yeah, but it probably I, yeah, felt I, good. I, I don't agree. I think he's going to be a stud still. All right, no let's legal. go back to the mic drop feature. Let's hear from Zach. My Cardinals take I got a purge is that I just don't know about Ali in terms of his leadership skills. Something feels off with this team right now ever since that O'Neal incident. And there really isn't a whole lot of he's definitely a good leader of men in the clubhouse evidence for Ali. So I had to get it off my chest. I, I'm with that one. <laughs> I'm on the same page as that one. I'm starting to really wonder. Really? Uh-huh. I've... I- Where's your confidence level with Ollie as a manager right now? This is our safe place. You could, t- if you got to take purge, you can go ahead and get that out there, T Bone. I because uh, I've got a take on this. My, I would say my confidence, Ollie, is still somewhat high, but it is dwindling and dwindling quickly. I, I think I still sit like a seven out of ten. I, I still think he's a good manager. I think he's run into some bad breaks, <laughs> and it, right now it does feel like every time he does make a move, it just happens to come back and bite him in the butt. Mine's at like a five. Um, and the, the down, the downward spiral for me came with that Tyler O'Neill thing. And I I didn't mind him saying what he said about the Tyler O'Neill, but it just, it definitely put up a red flag for me where it's like, man, we're already questioning a guy dogging in in the first week of the season. And then from there, it just continuously inconsistent the rest of the way. It was a weird tone to set early in the season. My take on this is, uh, it's pretty simple. I do wonder if they miss Skip Schumacher. I really wonder if they miss Skip Schumacher's influence in that clubhouse. 
because last year he was one of the like anytime you saw Ollie, you saw Skip Schumacher right next to him. And not having that presence inside of that dugout, there's a reason why they wanted Matt Holliday in that role. And when he decided not to, and there's, hey, it's it's ex- explainable. It's super explainable as to why he decided not to take that job. I, I think that they were shoehorned into the, no pun intended, uh, idea of getting Joe McEwing in that role. I don't think Joe McEwing is a bad coach. I just wonder if he's the right fit for, for that specific job. So I... I do wonder if if that is something that they're missing. I also wonder if they're missing Albert Pujols' uh, presence inside of the hitters' meetings as well. Um, I, I don't know, but just as a part of the, the Cardinals' take purge, well, that is something else that I've thought about. To, to that point, I think it was yesterday or two games ago, uh, Jim Hayes said on the broadcast, Nolan Arnato, or maybe it was something you had mentioned, it was read in the paper, mm-hmm. of Arnato led a fiery hitters' meeting. And, and then Cobb, you know, dealt and... <laughs> It wasn't a whole lot to be uh, shown. They didn't say it was a good fiery. It was probably a bad fiery yeah, it meeting. It clearly was not a good meeting. All right, some of the take purges from the text line from the six three six. Guys, the Cardinals are easily the most. This is not my. This is not my statement. I want to make that very clear. This comes from the six three six. Don't worry, we'll Cardinals are easily the most overrated franchise in baseball history. They've been an average team wow. for years now. They've been saved by a seventeen game winning streak in twenty twenty one. They were saved by a legacy second half from Pujols last season. They need a massive overhaul in the position player development part, and I mean a massive overhaul. They are falling behind with no way forward. That is, uh, that's a massive that. purge. Yeah, yeah, that was really big that individual has been having that feeling for a very long time, and yeah. they finally had the opportunity to purge. I would imagine they're going to be positive the rest of the Cardinal season now that they got that off of their chest. I do sometimes wonder about the Cardinals' ability to develop a superstar internally. I do also wonder if they are overly aggressive at getting those guys to the big leagues because of how much hype there is for those players internally. You think back to Dylan Carlson, how quickly he got to the big leagues, Nolan Gorman, how quickly he got to the big leagues, Jordan Walker this year, how quickly he got to the big leagues. They they move these guys through the system fast. Some other teams don't do it as quickly. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. We'll see. Some It's possible that these guys were just always going to fail. And we ended up seeing the failures earlier than we would have seen them otherwise. But it's something that I've thought about. So in this take purge, that's something that I'll go ahead and throw out there. From the 314, the Cardinals don't have winners on this team. Goldie and Arenado are great regular season players, but they've never won for a reason. They've never been able to do it in the postseason, and that's not going to start happening here in St. Louis. I, I mean, that is factual. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> okay. They they have underperformed in the postseason. Yes, but I don't think very that they're losers. No, I never thought <laughs> yeah. they were losers. Okay, let me let me amend this. They're not losers. I mean, they were in the MVP conversation for a reason. But there's a difference between regular season performers and postseason performers. And this team has a ton of regular season performers and very little postseason performers. There is some kind of truth to that, based on what we've seen in the last handful of years but again i i mostly mostly chalk that up to being small sample sizes of hey it's a best of three series and as we've learned this year in a lot of best of three series a lot of ish can go wrong for you and go wrong quickly same with a one game wild card against the dodgers performer, you can perform in two games and win it you're not performing to the other team's level that is outplaying you in two of three games from the six three six 
Guys, my purge is that the Cardinals need to trade Nolan Gorman before he starts his decline again. Send him at the deadline in a package with a few outfielders. Get the arm that the Cardinals need. His value is never going to be higher than it is right now. Somebody said that we can't develop superstars. He's playing like a superstar right now. Now we're trading him? Everybody gets so angry about Randy or Rosarena, and now we're trading Nolan Gorman? Man, I hope Cardinal Country feels really good watching This purge is going to help everybody. Alex, do you have a purge that you'd like to get off your chest? I mean, my purge is essentially what we've talked about with Ollie, and it's not to the point where I think they should fire the manager, but I am a little concerned in terms of leading these guys through this this massive issue that they're going through, whether it's confidence, whether whatever it might be, I do think that this falls on the coaching staff a little bit in terms of finding ways to get these guys out of this slump where everybody goes through it, But as much as we'll say that, yeah, the players have to find a way to hit, you also look at the way that they're constructing this on a daily basis and putting different players in different positions in different spots to try and give guys days off and get them comfortable. At some point, I feel like you got to look at this and say, guys, we need to snap this and start to go on a little bit of a winning streak. So, like, my purge is a little concerned right now with Ali Marmol and the leadership. I I got one that's been bubbling up at me, and I feel like the text line from last year, because I'm going to point to a coach and not Ollie. This is a safe space. Remember that. Guys, I don't think Dusty Blake's a good pitching coach. (laughs) Oh, here we (laughs) go. uh, The analytics. And it's not so much the analytics, but and maybe it's just me think maybe it is kind of that where like there have been innings this year where it's a starter or a reliever and things are getting out of hand and they can't seem to right the ship and the game is sped up because of the pitch clock, and Dusty Blake doesn't come out for a mound visit. Who's the one that goes out there? It's either Contreras, Kisner, or nobody goes out there, and the inning just spirals out of control. I feel like Mike Maddox, when he was here as a pitching coach, went out there more often as the pitching coach to kind of calm things down. And I feel like there are times this year where it's been like, okay, they need to visit, they need to go to the mound to talk with uh, Miles Michaels. This inning's clearly getting out of hand. And nothing happens, they just go about their business. And, and part of the reason this also kind of is... Um, leading into the way I'm thinking too is let's not forget in the offseason it was always Dusty Blake he's going to revolutionize his pitching staff he's going to add more swing and miss to this staff and this starting staff stinks like there's not been an addition of swing and miss stuff but anything it's quite the opposite now the bullpen has had seen more swing and miss it's actually higher than I thought I think they were second in strikeout percentage coming into today but I, I just needed to get that off my chest because I, I don't get to preach that a lot here. You miss here. Mike Maddox, huh? I miss... I you miss, miss the claw. I miss the claw. I miss Mike the Claw Maddox. So I've kind of already purged my take, but I'm ready to go a step further. Guys, I think the only way that Tyler O'Neill can be a good player is if literally everything is going right for him. He needs to be 100% healthy. He needs to be in the exact right mental space. And he needs a manager that's going to throw him out there every single day in the specific spot that he wants to be with the correct lineup protection. Everything needs to be going Tyler O'Neill's way in order for him to be a quality player. Let me give you his OPS plus by year since he's made it to the big leagues. Year one, this was in 60 games, 115. 15 percent above league average that's fine nothing great but fine year two 90 year three 70 year four this was his mvp season 148 year five 101 this year 91 one of these things not like the other 
Tyler O'Neill has been a good player once in his entire major league career, and he's been living on that reputation ever since, and he hasn't been the same player since or before. He never showed that kind of ability in the big leagues prior to, and we always wondered, man, this is weird. He was a really good defender in the big leagues. Why is it that he can't be a good defender, or excuse me, in the minor leagues? Why is it that he can't be a good defender in the big leagues? I don't know. And then suddenly in 2021, whoa, he's a gold glove left fielder. He was an MVP candidate. And then 2022, he has the contract thing. He's got some of these things that are wearing on him injury-wise. He wasn't the same player. This year, hasn't been the same player. He's hitting the ball hard, but his slugging percentage by year since being like a basically everyday player. 411, 360, 560. Good season. 395, 380. What if he's not a good slugger? What if in 2021, we were all fooled by this mirage of a season and ever ever since and every year before, he wasn't that guy. What if Tyler O'Neill is this? What if this is who he is? That's my perch. Good can, thing you didn't give him a contract yeah, extension. Good thing you didn't sign him on that one good year that he had. Never believed it. Can, can, I, can I have another one that just popped up for me? I'm, why do we keep sitting here and saying that Miles Michaelis can't be this bad? Like, like... <laughs> Miles Michaelis right now has given up 26 hits and six or 20, 41 hits and 21 earned runs and six home runs. Miles Michaelis is getting the ball smashed every time he th- every time he throws it. He's having one blow up inning where it's five or six runs being scored. And every single day after he pitches, we come on the radio and we say, "Well, he can't be this bad, guys." Why? Because last year he pitched awesome. Isn't that considered like an anomaly? Couldn't that have been of where Miles Michaelis just had an incredible season and this is more the Miles Michaelis we're getting? He doesn't have swing and miss stuff. This defense doesn't know how to do rundowns at third base or catch fly balls in the outfield. And Miles Michaelis is getting smashed. So are we really going to sit here and keep saying like, hey, Miles Michaelis can't be this bad. It feels like a pitching coach issue, doesn't it? There's no claw. Yeah. There's no coincidence Texas pitching staff's been good. All right, I feel so much better. I actually don't. I have like this. <laughs> Do you feel better no, or worse? I feel worse. I, like I got, I got hot right now. I'm like, ooh, hot and bothered. Yeah, no, Miles not bothered. Guy, well, yeah. yeah, hot and bothered, but like in a different kind of hot and bothered. Like I got to go home and sit and stew in this now. Hey, I've got some numbers that tell you why the Cardinals are basically the 2021 Braves. That's oh, next. Right. Oh, God. ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Today. It's been a good show. If you missed any of it, I would check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We had a Cardinals take purge. That was enjoyable. You may I need needed to that. Turn down your sound at like 1 30. There's a lot of screaming. Yeah, there was a lot of screaming. I feel like it cleansed our soul a I little like, bit. My like sopranos came out of me for a couple of seconds. Ron Wotus, the former. Giants bench and third base coach joined us earlier today. He was great. He was a three-time World Series champion. He made us feel a lot better about the St. Louis Cardinals yeah. as well. Also made me doubt Ollie a little bit. And Alex, now is my time to really make you feel great about this team. All right. Talk to you all tomorrow. So I mentioned earlier today that 
the 2018 Dodgers, the 2019 Nationals, the 2021 Braves, and the 2022 Phillies all have something in common with the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals. They all started the season remarkably slow. All of them were 13 and 16 through the first month of the season or worse. They were all towards the bottom of their division, if not at the actual bottom of the division. And all of them had one particular area that was just going wrong for some reason. The Dodgers had a bullpen that was 22nd in ERA. The Nationals were 29th in ERA with their bullpen. The 2022 Phillies, we know, defensively were terrible, and their bullpen was giving away games left and right. But the 2021 Braves, I think, are the team that I would point to as being the most similar to this version of the Cardinals. They were hitting the ball pretty well, sixth in on-base percentage, fourth in slugging percentage for the first month of the season. But they were 27th in starting pitching ERA and 22nd in bullpen ERA. Right now, the Cardinals are 26th in starting pitching ERA this season and 15th in bullpen ERA. Long story short, they were both bottom half of the league in both bullpen and starting pitching ERA. At that point in time, the Braves were 13 and 16, Alex. The rest of the season, they went 75 and 57. Now, how did they do that? Well, at the time, here were some of the ERAs for their starters. Charlie Morton, good pitcher, right? We would agree. Yeah. 5-1 ERA on the season. Oh, well, they got guys that match that right now. Drew Smiley, perfectly fine pitcher, right? We would agree. Yeah. 8.1 ERA at that point in the season. Max Freed, we would agree, pretty good starter, right? 11.5 ERA at that point in the season. Now, let me give you some of their numbers the rest of the year, post first month of the season. Drew Smiley, the rest of the way, had a 3.8 ERA. Charlie Morton, the rest of the way, had a 2.9 ERA. Ian Anderson was pretty good all year that season. Max Freed, the rest of the way, had a 2.5 ERA. Now, there were also other things that changed, right? They got they had some injuries that they had overcome. They ended up completely overhauling the outfields. We know the story of the 2021 Braves. I'm not telling you that because the Braves did it, the Cardinals are going to eventually get it back on track and they're going to go to the World Series. But what I am saying is that's the path. The path is this starting rotation just starts pitching better. Now, if Alex's purge was correct and Miles Michaelis is just bad now, two well, percent percentile and exit velocity. Not good. That's what needs to change. The offense has to start coming through with runners in scoring position, and the starting rotation has to stabilize around Jordan Montgomery and Jack Flaherty. Those guys have done it. They have done their job so far this season. The rest of this rotation has to come into form. And it starts tonight with uh, Jake Woodford on the map. Probably won't be on the team after tonight. Yeah. So that's good. Let's go, Jake. Some would say he's. Going to be Meanwhile, John the Brevia, the former Cardinal, is going to, you know, light up the Cardinals while the bullpen just goes out and shuts you down. How do you guys feel about the Cardinals going up against a bullpen game? Tonight? Not good. About as good as I would about against a lefty that they've never seen before. I would probably, we all know how those go. I would probably kind of agree with that. I, I have a bad feeling about tonight. One, I just don't trust Jake Woodford. And two, it's not even like they had to burn a bullpen arm last night. This bullpen is fresh coming into a bullpen game, and the Cardinals aren't good when you're not playing the matchups, <laughs> yeah. and now they get to play the matchups. I didn't so. even think about that. They didn't even use their bullpen last night. Oh, God. This is going to go poorly. Super excited about that. All right. we'll certainly break it all down yeah. for you guys tomorrow. Again, thank you all so much for the uh, – the interaction today, it's been great. I enjoyed it a lot. The purge was, I think, good for all of Somebody us. Somebody texted in and said, so in other words, BK's optimism is everything has to get better for the Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. Good. 
Seems real reasonable. I don't agree with that. You basically just need Miles Michaelis to pitch a little better. And Steven Matz. You need Steven Matz to pitch Wayne a little right better. to be good when he comes back. Just passable. And the offense to Solid. start hitting with runners in scoring position. Yeah. And your bullpen to not only have to rely yeah. on Helsley and Gallegos and I think the bullpen's been fine. I, I think we overstate how bad the bullpen is because they played so many close games. And your bullpen gets overextended in those close or games. The fact that that and the starters have not gone deep oh. enough into games yeah. to take some of the pressure off. You say off that, them. but you've been trying to get rid of Stratton for a week, and I don't <laughs> or, appreciate or it. Or the fact that you've overused them and you're not even a month into the season. But that's yeah. fine. Don't worry about that. I'm super confident yeah. that Jake Woodford is going to get deep into the game and we won't have a 2023 World about Series. the bullpen later on tonight. This is the day. Mark it down. This is like this the the blue oh, stretch. No. May first. Oh, May, no. This is the blue May, stretch. May first. May first is when the Cardinals get it back on track. <laughs> He's giving From up Henderson. <laughs> I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The fast lane gets to talk about this mess next year on 101 ESPN. They're just not that good. They're just not that good. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.